Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 395. I am Pierre and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? Because I hold hold up my end of bargains, <laughs> unlike someone who will remain nameless. Well, yes, if you're wondering where Connor is, because I said that he should be here this week, um, he, he is... Well, he's AWOL, basically. <laughs> we, we, he's not responding. If you see him, please let him know that he's kind of missed. We, I sent, we sent some messages. We waited a little bit to see if he'd show up, and he is not here. Uh, so we, at, we, at a certain point, we just had to get going. So we're yep. starting the show. Another vicious dog attack claims a victim. <laughs> so here we are. This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together. We talk about the DC books we read this week. Coming up on today's show, we've got Batman 143, Action Comics 1062, Batman and Robin issue 6, Green Lantern issue 8, Blue Beetle issue 6, well Matt read that anyway, Outsiders Mm -hmm. issue 4, Matt also read Wesley Dodds the Sandman issue 5, and we also have finally Batman City of Madness issue 3, so healthy week, got some interesting Mm -hmm. things to talk about, not all of them going to be positive, I'll just say that up front, but more on that in in a bit so yes welcome to the show everyone mm-hmm. uh we're, we're, we're deep into february valentine's day was this week mm-hmm. so i hope you all had a nice cry in the shower maybe a a sad and a lonely wank whatever you do on valentine's day uh but <laughs> God. i don't even know how to respond to that <laughs> you could just say yes i enjoyed it <laughs> I mean, I had to stop at flowers, so, you know, that's how I spent mine. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no sad shower, or happy shower for that matter. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have anything else to add on to Valentine's Day antics. I just, I thought I'd make a joke. I'm going to say, me, me and my wife constantly argue about this, but it's a fake holiday. And it just is, it exists to keep the candy and card manufacturers going in between, mm. you know, uh, uh christmas and easter you know because the easter stuff's already up like you know they don't even offer the sales on the valentine's day candy like they used to uh because because it's being swapped out for the easter stuff mm. yeah wait did you used to enjoy going the 15th and oh brother <laughs> halloween christmas that's where you pick up all the extra candy you know uh and now they don't now i feel like they just they send it back even before the date um and and they get out the next holiday before you before you know it but yeah man that's where i used to get the um the around christmas the snicker trees those would go on sale and i'd have them for like until february it was great and uh, not anymore it's very sad it's a shame happiest days mm-hmm. of matt's match year were once november 1st december 26th and february 15th yes, <laughs> for sir. All the cheap chocolate Oh, well. and it's a, yeah, and like all the stuff that gets left over after Halloween are the candies that nobody likes, anyways. That's why they're left over, you know. So those are still there, but I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Um. So I this week, um, I I'd been rewatching the Million Elm Street movies. I think I probably said mm-hmm. that last week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched five of them. Don't really want to watch number six, so I've moved on. My my next casual franchise rewatch is the Pink Panther movies. I've only watched the first two so mm-hmm. far. Um, I will say it's been a long time since I'd seen them. Um, and while there's my favourite one, which I saw a lot when I was younger, um, some of them I've only seen the once before, so this was a second viewing. 
original Pink Panther is a lot like um What's a good franchise to compare it to? Uh Mad Max might actually be a good one. No. Wow. Okay. I'm oh. curious to see where this goes. <laughs> I'm not saying it's like Mad Max, but yeah. it's it's like Mad Max in that the first movie is very different from what you think that franchise is. Because so Sellers isn't as zany as we expect because of where he ended up. He's not, he's just right? a he's a supporting character in the first one. He's not even the lead. Well, Clouseau's not even I did not even know that. I mean he's in it, but he's not yeah. like he he's got he's got he's definitely he's second build and he's got much less screen time. It's all about this suave guy who's trying to steal a diamond that's called the Pink Panther from a right. rich princess I, I knew character. That. But that um, that's the majority of the movie. Uh, the second movie, A Shot in the Dark, is a lot more like what you think mm. of as you know, that movie series. You think of him being this klutzy detective who keeps getting into trouble. Um, so much so, actually, I did not remember this. It completely just ignores the continuity of the first movie because the first mm-hmm. movie ends in a way that A Shot in the Dark just never addresses, right? Like The, the first mm-hmm. movie ends with this big deal of something happening to him that they never like fix at the start of the next one. So I think I think they just said, you know what, we like this character. We want to work with Peter Sellers. We want to do more of this. We're just going mm-hmm. to kind of treat it as like a reboot almost and just go from there uh, to the point where the Pink Panther's not even in the title. But then they realized that yeah. the title was good, so they kept bringing it back. Yeah, after cause that. it ties it to a franchise, like you said. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, I won't spoil it just in case anyone doesn't know yeah. how the first Pink Panther ends. Uh, but uh, yeah, the first the first one's like a six. You know, it's it's kind of slow. It's it's not well paced, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not got that much fun comedy in it. And Peter Sellers is the best part of it when he is on screen, but even then, he's not as wacky as he is in the the follow up movies. A shot in the dark, much better. Um, not amazing, but much better. And it's it really serves as like a like a prequel to my favorite entry, which is not the next one. It's the fourth one. Uh, mm-hmm. Pink Panther Strikes Again is my favorite of the bunch, and the villain of that's actually heavily set up in A Shot in the Dark, oh, wow. so it's very very useful for that. But anyway, I thought people might be interested in some Pink Panther lore. <laughs> well, so the only one that the director didn't do was the second or the third one. Um, he did the the other follow up. Well, sorry, the return. When you say the third one, are you and talking about Clouseau? Yeah, okay. So that's not Peter Sellers either. Oh, okay. That that's like a weird. That's never included in the box sets. It's never in the things. Okay, it, so that's why you said that's why you said fourth because here it's listed as fifth on, on the, the. Yeah, yeah. When I yeah. when I say fourth, I mean strikes again because when I when I think of that series, I think of the five that Peter Sellers is. Well, okay. technically six. If if you include the one that he never finished, but then they used the footage after his mm-hmm. death, uh, and sort of like Frankenstein the plot out of it, then six technically, but uh, five full complete films that he he was in. Oh, Henry Mantini needed the music. Yeah, that's a great well. main theme. Yeah, yeah. I did not realize that was the the same guy. Very, very, very catchy main theme. Uh, you find yourself humming it uh, after you've yeah. watched the movie for quite some so time. I'm trying to figure out why Peter Sellers wasn't in the that one and the third one. I think um, they just tried to make it more of a a role that anyone could play, like a James yeah. Bond type thing. And then they tried it and realized, no, Peter Sellers is what made this amazing. Yeah. So that's... Well, even as much as I love Steve Martin, I still haven't seen the remakes because I haven't heard oh, great yeah. things. Um, you know, so it just feels like it's one of those roles that was only meant for Peter Sellers. So, yeah. They also tried to do a couple of sort of like soft reboots, like after the, those original five or six mm-hmm. where they had 
Like it was like maybe Sun or something like that. You know, there was like a couple yeah, of weird Sunday attempts House. at bringing it back, but it never really. So do you know who the other actor that played Inspector Clouseau is? Oh, I don't remember. No, it's okay. Alan Arkin. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do, I do like American Alan Canadian. Arkin. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, crazy, crazy yeah. times. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Uh, I'm sure one day I'll see it for some reason or another. Yeah, but, uh, he'll get, he'll get I'm around just, to it. I'm just doing the Peter Seller movies uh, mm-hmm. on, on this occasion. Uh, of course, all of you youngsters listening, I play. What's the Pink Panther? We've never heard of this thing. No. Just, when uh, I was a kid, I got very confused because it wasn't the cartoon Pink Panther that I was familiar with. You yeah. know, because it was the little shorts um, with the, with a the fun theme song. Yeah, he's in the opening credits. He's just mm-hmm. like a sort of gimmick for that. But he, obviously, there's no actual Pink Panther in the movies. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's the Inspector Clouseau show, mm-hmm. as it were. So, yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought I'd uh, fill everyone in on <laughs> on Pink Panther. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll watch some more for next week. Uh, but yeah, oh, I've been playing a lot of video games. I, I uh, I've been playing more Yakuza Like a Dragon, right? Which mm-hmm. is good fun. But I have become addicted to a game that's technically just a demo right now for a few more days called Balatro or Balatro. And it's basically like poker, but meets a deck building roguelite game where there's like modifiers and you try and improve your chances of things by, say, turning half of your clubs into hearts. So you've got more hearts or, or stuff like that. This sounds like something I get addicted to, like Marvel Snap that I haven't played since <laughs> October. You well, know, like I have played sixteen hours of a demo of this game, yeah, because it's it's that addictive, and I, sounds... I can only imagine how addictive it's going to be once the full things at my disposal. Yeah, uh, but it's it's it seems like the sort of thing that eventually might just be on phones because there's no reason why it shouldn't be able to. So right. you may even get a chance to play it at some point, Matt, if you really want mm-hmm. to. For sure, for sure. Yeah, no, it sounds like, like those type of card games where you have to, you know, the whole point of it. There's there's strategy based into it. Yeah, you know. there's some luck. It's a roguelike, so there's definitely a luck in yeah. terms of what you get access to in terms of like new cards and modifiers and upgrading certain types of hands and whatnot. But it's it's an interesting little thing. You know, I've been doing a lot of that in the last few days. How has your week been, Matt? Pretty good, pretty quiet. Um, still still recovering from being sick. Um, so haven't done much. I did go to to AEW Collision last week, and that was fun. I lost my voice, so that's also, you know. Uh, part part of of the recovery. Um, what did we watch? We watched something earlier this week, and it's not ringing a bell. But uh, but yeah, so just real real quiet. Uh, trying to get through the week. I have a three day weekend this week, so. Ah uh, yeah, know. I'm aware of this because half the things I watch on YouTube or listen to podcast wise are all not on on Monday. So I have to do with yeah. not having content for a day because the Americans oh, have no. a silly holiday. Oh no! All you have to do is find something else, Pete. You know, you you find your podcast. How dare you suggest I am mainly inconvenienced? How dare yes, you, sir? So I'm, I'm trying to go. Let's see. What did I watch? I'm just looking. A lot, of, a lot of Super Bowl stuff because there was the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, that was since last week, wasn't it? You know, that was the other. Yeah. Um. Oh no! That's what we did. And I really liked it too, but I can't believe. But we uh, we got caught up on Loki, on season two, which is significantly mm-hmm. better than season one, because we watched the Deadpool trailer and I saw some TVA guys and I was like, you know, I should probably you know catch up on it. And it was, it was a lot more like Booster Gold than the first season. 
Um, so it's, it was right up my alley. A lot of um, Groundhog Day trying to go back and alter things ever so slightly. You know, um, very quick watch to get through those things. We watched we watched the complete season in two days. So um, and and yeah, so and I might give Miss Marvel a try because the Marvels just dropped as well. And that was the first Marvel film that I hadn't seen in theaters. So, you know, mm. um, but, but yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I did not see Loki season two and I think I'm mm-hmm. good. I think I'm good. So Yeah. That said, I think for all the faults you had with the first season, I feel like you would have enjoyed this one a little bit more, but judging how you are with, with, you know, the entire, the entirety of comic book properties, not just Marvel at the moment, you know, I don't know how much this would, uh, how much you would actually enjoy going through this? Well, we do actually have solicits today, so I suppose we should get into the first yeah. proper segment of the show, which is, of course, the top ten, formerly known as the Comicsology top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I mean to say formally? Not formally. Yeah, formally. It was formally known as. I guess. I, Joe, I'm, I'm now I'm realizing that formally kind of has two meanings because you could say something's mm-hmm. formally as in as its formal title, mm-hmm. or formally as in it used to be called. As it was former, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I second guess myself. I work myself That's into okay. a shoot. It's fine. It, it's one of yeah. It's one of those ones that when you start thinking about the word itself, you get caught up on it, and then it starts to lose meaning the more you think about it. Hmm. That's so. exactly what happened, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so obviously they split them up, these rankings mm-hmm. on Kindle's store by day. So we'll look at Tuesday first, which is DC Day. Matt, what do you think was number one? I'm going to guess it's Batman. It's a boring answer, but it's, it's the correct answer, so I can't fault it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Batman, one forty is number one. Number two is Action Comics. Number three is Green Lantern. Number four is Batman and Robin. Number five is Outsiders. Which is kind of nice to see. Hey. Number six is Red Hood on the Hill. Number seven is Batman City of Madness. Number eight is Wesley Dodds the Sandman. Number nine is Sinister Suns issue one. And number ten is Blue Beetle issue six. So, uh, which is most of the single issues. The only thing that really misses out there, number 11 is Speed Force issue four. Uh, Given Mm. how much I hated the first issue, though, I'm happy that's at the bottom of the list. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, after that we get into some collections and your your usual mm-hmm. shtick, uh, but not bad by any means. Um, is that uh? No, it's not an omnibus. I was gonna say I, I saw Batman and Robin by Tomasi and Gleason, and I was wondering mm-hmm. if it was an omnibus, but because they don't typically do digital versions of the omnibus, yeah. uh, but it's just a book one, so it's one of those kind of gotcha. you know thicker deluxe. Yeah, twelve to sixteen issue mm-hmm. numbers. So that is Tuesday. What about Wednesday, Matt? So when I was at the shop, I saw that there was a type of uh, one of those those tie-in type books, but I'm not seeing it on here. So maybe maybe he had gotten that one late. Um, mm. So I'm gonna go out. I'm still gonna go uh, stay in the X Men realm, but I'm saying Wolverine forty three. That is incorrect. That's incorrect. Is it a Marvel book? It is a Marvel book. Okay, so what yeah. else? What else? Um, there's a new number one, but I don't know if it would be that. Um, let's see. <laughs> all, 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 all this cheating. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, just... there it is. This this was my answer. I see it now. And at a different cover than at the shop. It's Follow the House of X number two. That is correct. Yeah. But you got there eventually, I guess. I, I kind of fault. Uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't. The, the cover must have been a variant or something, but this was not the cover that I saw that I was looking for. So, yeah, that's uh, is that Polaris on the cover I'm seeing? I, it looks like her with the, the looks like a Sentinel skull, maybe. Uh, yeah, she's got like a Magneto style helmet on, mm -hmm. yeah, but it looks like Polaris. I have no idea what's going on in X Men right now. Oh, nor do I. Uh, like. Oh, do I? Uh, number two is Transformers, issue five. So, hey, not yeah, to pick that high up. That's nice to see. Uh, I'm definitely going to pick up that trade. Daniel Warren Johnson, killing it. Number three is Wolverine. Number mm. four is Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, issue one. Number five is Amazing Spider-Man. Number six is Vengeance of the Moon Knight. Number seven is Superior Spider-Man. Number eight is Star Wars Darth Vader. Number nine is Miles Morales Spider Man, and number ten is Thunderbolt. So it's still very Marvel heavy. Yeah. Uh, that's nine out of ten were Marvel books in the top ten, but uh, did get a non-Marvel book pretty high up. So cool enough to see. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting looking looking down the list and seeing that um, a something is killing the children collection is actually outselling a lot of the single issues that came out uh, this week. Is that number seven? Oh, uh, let me click on yeah. it and find it. Yeah, volume seven is the one. Yeah. Yeah. Issues 31 to 35. Which hmm. means they've had five issues for every single trade because it divides yeah. neatly by seven. <laughs> yep. So, very good. Uh, yeah. Um, there you go. We'll, we'll move straight on because we have the solicits to talk about mm -hmm. and they do take up a bit of time. So this is the May 2024 solicitations. Uh, we'll run through them as we always do. Maybe point out anything new, um, probably gush over the odd cover and uh, get into it. I haven't really looked at these yet, so this is a complete journey of discovery for myself. Uh, first up, we have The Boy Wonder, issue one. This is both mm -hmm. written and drawn by Ginny Ba, who I can't say I recognize that name. Me neither. Yeah. Uh, here's the description on the solicitors. Uh, the young prince, Damian Wayne, was raised to be the heir to the fearsome League of Assassins to follow in the footsteps of his deadly mother, Talia, and the demon's head himself and his grandfather, Razal Ghul. But everything changed when he his father, the Batman, reclaimed him and brought him back to Gotham City as Robin. Now, this is just the history of Damian Wayne so far. Yeah. As Robin, young Damian suddenly discovered he was merely one of the number of princes preceded by the role of his brothers, Nightwing, Red Hood, and Red Robin. And Damien doesn't care to be merely anything. But when his father is forced to leave the city on urgent business, and a rash of abductions is accompanied by whispers of a demon stalking Gotham's dark alleys, Damien will find himself battling alongside his adoptive brothers, and in the process, learning what the mantle of Robin really means. Interesting. Yeah. Any, any further thoughts? I No, I was looking up who Junie Ba is mm. so and seeing what other, but I'm looking. Um, the art style looks very, very unique, um, but I'm seeing, worked on a book called Monkey Meat, uh, worked on some Ninja Turtles, but it's a very cartoony style in that, that it's, it's very reminiscent of like, remember the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon? The very kind of thick line, square uh, jaw. Yeah, um, vaguely. That, that's what it reminds me of. 
Um, but yeah, a lot of Ninja Turtles. So this sounds fun. At first I was like, ah, do I need another Damien kind of origin book? But this sounds like, you know, early, early Damien in Gotham, fish out of water, trailing a yeah, demon. I wouldn't say it sounds like an origin story, even though they describe a lot of yeah. the origin in the solicitor. Mm-hmm. It sounds more like this is just the background to mm-hmm. what the story is, which is the first time Batman's away and he's like yeah. dealing stuff with his, with his fellow Robins. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the last little sentence after that main paragraph does mention mm-hmm. it's an accessible and heart-trending fairy tale. Yeah. So it might give us a sense of the tone that it may have. I, it's mm-hmm. a five-issue miniseries. I genuinely have no idea how I'm going yeah. to feel about any of this because I don't know the, the creator that well. So yeah. uh, only one way we're going to find out. So We got to try it out, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's The Boy Wonder starting in May. Uh, next up, we got Outsiders issue seven, uh, which, cool. I, is, is it just me or does that cover look like it's it's been censored for now because it's a, yes. like a dead character sort of blacked out who the character is yeah and it seems like uh the the characters is the one that's been in the book that is now missing uh because if you look mm. at all of these characters are the ones that have showed up in this first four issues yes um so i better not be who i think it is or i'm gonna be real mad i mean it doesn't look like their figure but having no. said that they could just be bulking it out to uh-huh to you know throw us off the scent yeah so we'll we'll see we'll see but uh but i do like seeing the, the big gigantic sea monster that we met in issue two being there sure. in the background yeah. so uh, and then this new character that we were introduced to also being there um one of one of my coworkers, uh i was talking to him and he he's a little bit older than us uh and i was telling him about this book and he's like oh you gotta go back and read planetary so this is I'm gonna have to track that down now. I don't I think I think the the collections are still in print. Um because it seems like there's a lot of ties to Planetary and Wildstorm in this Outsiders book. Yeah, uh Planetary and uh, Authority as well. Uh mm-hmm. I think this because even in this the issue that came out today, which we'll yep. talk about well not today, but I mean we're gonna yeah. talk about it today. Mm-hmm. Uh bolds the word authority at one point to sort of like hey mm-hmm. we've got ties to this it's kind of interesting reading it with absolutely no knowledge really of either of those things and just take it no. on its own terms but no it definitely led me when i read it the other night it definitely before bed led me on a wiki hole of mm. that of that time and era to get familiar for the characters and it gave me a new appreciation for what lansing and kelly are doing so to see that where it's building up to with this cover again they better not do what I think they're going to do, because I'm going to be mad. <laughs> uh, next up, we got Batman Superman World's Finest, issue 27, Wade and Mora, uh, the implosion <laughs> of global uh-huh. proportions. Uh, so this was teased, obviously, in the annual, uh, on, which wasn't a great little story on its own, but I'm definitely curious to see what they do with all this imp stuff once it starts in issue 25. So, cool. Teeny tiny Bane is so funny to me, and I don't know why. Because his proportions are all off. That's oh, very funny. Uh, next up, we got the Flash issue nine, mm-hmm. uh, continuing the Spurrier's run. Although it's Ramon Perez who's on the art on this issue, right? Instead of Diodato. So we'll see if that's a, a, a guest thing or maybe a, a, a new mm-hmm. continuing artist. But we'll see. So definitely Pilgrim, that Pilgrim character that we met mm-hmm. on the cover. Um, the cover looks great as well. Yeah. Uh, by Perez. So that's what the art's going to look like on the inside. We're in for a treat. We have Batman Brave and the Bold issue 13, uh, with stories by Tim Seeley, Mark Russell, and Delilah S. Dawson. 
So that's still still going uh, strong. Mm-hmm. We got Batman 147. Uh, still Chip Zarsky, Jorge Jimenez is back, uh, which is, is good to see. So This has been like the longest, like I'm seeing words on this solicit and it feels like this has been a 14 year run <laughs> like oh these allies aren't available he's still fighting zero and R. <laughs> yeah i know i know well it's because they took this break to do the joker thing didn't they yeah. so we'll, we'll be mm-hmm. back to that in no time i guess uh next up we got detective comics 1085 with an absolutely stonking cover uh mm-hmm. it must be said uh but yeah this is uh uh, Batman returning after the current arc of him sort of mm-hmm. finding himself in the in the desert. So very cool. Well, not desert. Was it kind of the desert? I don't know. Well, we'll... yeah, he's, he had to cross that desert. It's, it's yeah. the same story that Talia told Damien. So yeah, yeah. I was just trying to remember if it was a desert or if he ended up on an island or something. By the end, I can't remember. Yeah. But uh, there we got Batman and Robin issue nine, uh, continuing that run. Not much to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Nightwing 114, which is notable, and it's the start of the new arc. Uh, you got Taylor Redondo's back on the art for this arc, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. Uh, Taylor mm-hmm. was hyping this up on Twitter, saying it was uh, kind of what the, the run's been building to. And judging for the fact that it's called Falling Grace and, and sort of glimpsing mm-hmm. at the solicit, it does seem like this is going to be... I'm not going to say the second last arc of the entire run. Maybe he's got more ideas for after, but it certainly feels like the downfall before the comeback and whatever mm-hmm. the, the final sort of part of the Heartless story is going to be. Just yeah. judging from, from you know, the name and the way Taylor's hyping up. So, yeah. exciting. There, there's a fun cover that someone did. I think it was Sam Pierre, the variant, that is a, an update of the first Nightwing issue that Taylor did. But mm. So it's got the mountains and stuff on instead of uh, Bloodhaven. So... Uh, it looked very nice. I saw that on Twitter. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, we got Poison Ivy twenty two. Uh, this is uh, part one of three of the second year oh. climax. <laughs> that's a very okay. I felt like yeah, I thought I felt like we were winding down with the origin story, but it looks like we're we're going. Which I'm not going to complain. Uh, <clears throat> do you think it ends after this the issue arc, or is this them just sort of mate? I don't know. They say the climax of year two, so who knows? It's yeah. very open-ended. Yeah, it very well just could be leading to the start of year three. You know, there's no reason to think it, it can't be, but it's just one of those books where I kind of expect it to end at any point. Obviously, it's yeah. selling a lot of variants, so maybe it never will, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, as hey. long as the quality stays where it's been, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, then we got Harley Quinn issue 40. Obviously, we don't have much to say, so mm-hmm. we'll just move on. Uh, Catwoman 65, uh, still Tini Howard. Uh, this is the final act of Nine Lives begins here, which I assume means it's the final arc and like a saga of arcs that Tini Howard's been doing. Maybe uh, reading by the, I feel like I need to read this book now because it seems very, you know, uh, like old pulp novel. Uh, it's about a, it says Catwoman is dead meat with a certifiable cutthroat and cannibalistic cabal of criminals converging on Catwoman. The feline femme fatale finds herself searching the ends of the earth for an ally in her struggle. Um, mm. Just the all the alliteration there, it feels like like you know an old fifties. You're getting suckered in, Matt. Yep, I'm not going to do it though. I have too many other books to yeah. read. Uh, mm-hmm. We got Birds of Prey issue nine. Uh, Kelly Thompson and notably various artists mm-hmm. uh, on this one. 
So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm still super pumped because of like where the next plot's going after that last mm-hmm. issue. But uh, exciting to see that Romero cover with the Kirby crackles, mm. you know, around Barda. This like this is this is poster worthy. <laughs> sure. Uh, so that's cool. We got Red Hood: The Hill issue four, which is issue four of six. Uh, this is mm-hmm. uh, specifying here. I actually joke for a second there. I thought that was Kickass next to him in the cover. Yeah. Because of the seems green like, yellow stripe. <laughs> seems like he's got himself his own Robin, which out of anybody <laughs> that doesn't need a Robin, it's the Robin that got beat to death by a crowbar. You know? Mm. Uh, we got the Penguin issue 10. You know, I'm very impressed. I guess the Curtain Birds of Prey is a bat family book, which I guess yeah. it technically is. Uh, it's impressive to me how big this bat section still is because we're still going mm-hmm. with bat books. But yeah, Penguin issue 10, obviously, we're pumped. Yeah. Uh, it's been a great book. Nice cover. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Batman Dark Age issue three. This is the Mark Russell book that's not started yet. This is issue three of six. Uh, interestingly, these are 48 page issues that are $6, but there's six of them. Yeah. So it's kind of this in between of the, the prestige black label and uh, just a regular miniseries, I guess. Yeah. So curious. Uh, right, some Superman books. We got Action Comics 1065. We're into the Williamson issues. Uh, here, this is the, the final of the three issues uh, yeah. that Williams is doing, uh, which goes alongside Superman 14, which obviously it's tying into. So, very cool, or not, because I'm not that excited for it. But no. <laughs> I I appreciate the effort, but I'm I'm not mm-hmm. super pumped by having just Williamson take over action for three months. We got Power Girl issue nine. Yep, fun uh, cover. Just uh, you know, I think that's Paquette. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Suicide Squad Dream Team issue three. This is the Nicole Maines written mm-hmm. book, which I forgot existed. Which I mean, this happens for every mini <clears throat> every mini series yeah. that gets solicited and then it's not started coming out yet. I always forget it for issue two and three in the solicits because it's yeah. just it's not sunk in yet. I was uh, gonna go. What's this? Oh yeah, we got Sinister Sons issue four, and we got Neil Before Zod issue five. We got Wonder Woman issue nine, uh, and those covers by Sam Pierre are, are killing it. They're still yep. killing it. Uh, this one's Wonder Woman's head, all sort of like turning into stars and fading away into the yellow background. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very pretty. Very good stuff. We got Green Lantern issue 11, uh, which has got Zermanico and Kevin Maguire on art. So, mm-hmm. cool. I like, I like Maguire, so... I'm, I'm pretty sure Maguire's doing the Guy Gardner story in the, the backup. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I like Maguire quite a bit. We also have Green Lantern War Journal, issue 9. Uh, which is cool. Uh, seems like yep. seems like John Stewart's mother's in danger, which is a shame, because she's yeah. a sweet old lady who must be protected at all costs. But, yeah, all uh, costs, please. Yes. Uh, we have Titans, issue 11. Uh, it's Lucas Meyer on the R for that. That's cool. Uh mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, obviously I love uh, Nicholas Scott, but Meyer was quite a find, I think, for us in the Titans uh, event, so yep. I'm totally cool with, with him doing some of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I shared the Somni variant cover of this, and it's got Somni drawing all the Titans, and they all look great, and I just want to know when is Mark Wade going to get his good friend John, John Interiors? Oh, I don't know. Because, you know, I, I, I needs it. Well, we know he's working on a big project. Maybe, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's it. Maybe that's the one that will have Sam in it. 
Uh, we have Shazam issue 11 with uh, Josie mm-hmm. Campbell and uh, Lou Pacino. Uh, hey, what a team. That is still a hell of a team, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We got Blue Beetle issue 9. We have Green Arrow issue 12. Uh, which Are you still reading Green Arrow? You've been struggling yeah. through it, haven't you? I, it has ups and, uh, ups and downs. The Anamonopia stuff was fine until the reveal of the Anamonopia stuff, which was like, eh, it's okay. He, he's really good at suckering me in. Like, Williamson has that ability for me, so... Uh, but I'll keep going until it gets, like, bad, bad. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> uh, we got Suicide Squad, Kill Arkham Asylum, issue five of five. So not much to say mm-hmm. about that. Uh, Batman Dylan Dog, issue three of three. Uh, mm-hmm. Can't say I have much to say about it because I don't know who Dylan Dog is. I've said that before, but I'll say it again. Uh, John Constantine, Hellblazer, Dead in America, issue five. This is Cy Spurrier and Aaron Campbell. This is issue five mm-hmm. of nine. That was a fantastic cover of Constantine on like a red London double decker going over the Route 66 signage. It is actually a very good cover. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not a Constantine person, but, it yeah, is, it's, but... It, it's inspired in its artistic mm-hmm. choices. Yes. We shall see. Uh, we have Batman Gargoyle of Gotham slash Noir Edition issue three. That, that cover is unsettling, and I wish it would stop looking at me. <laughs> uh, Given the way that's that's phrased in the title, I assume that means that mm-hmm. both are coming out in the same day. Yeah. Yeah. So it says on sale five twenty eight. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it blows me to say that because usually no our editions come later. So this is just mm-hmm. them jumping the gun and saying, "Nah, we'll do it right away. It's fine." Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, oh, it's been an interesting book so far. Uh, I could be intrigued. Although that's quite a wait for issue three, though, because issue two. It, it is, is and this ago. is why. But this is why I'm going to remind myself. I've read issue one and two. I'm not going to yes. fall into this again. You're the one who fought me on it. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm telling myself I'm not falling for I, it again. I, I just told you the facts. <laughs> That's all I ever did. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> uh, the Batman First Night, issue three. This is the Dan Jurgens and Mike Perkins book, mm-hmm. which I completely forgot existed, but that cover is gorgeous again. Yes, 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 I think yes. they've all been like this. They've all been this kind of mm-hmm. like silhouette with like the art inside the silhouette of... Uh, Yep. of Batman. But this is issue 3 of 3. Uh, super cool. Uh, the fact that we've not even had the first one of these yet, and issue 3 solicited is a good sign. It means that they're going to come out yeah. in a... Mm-hmm. Unless they all get very delayed from each other, they're coming out in a timely fashion. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Uh, we got Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries issue 5, Looney Tunes 278, Primer issue 3. We got That's Batman a fun cover. Uh, yeah, very <clears throat> colourful, yeah. Uh, we have mm-hmm. Batman and Robin and Howard, issue three. <laughs> I love that title. And then we're some facsimile editions. We've got Crisis and Infinite Earths, issue one. Mm-hmm. And issue two. Maybe they're going to do three and four the following month. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. You never know with these things. Then we got yeah. Military Comics, issue one, facsimile edition. You know, I'm not big on these facsimile editions. However, being that this is a Will Eisner issue and it stars the blackhawks i might have to give that a read mm. we got our army at war 81 facsimile edition which is a sergeant rock book mm-hmm. by the looks of it mm-hmm. uh, mad magazine 38 and then we're on to the collections and graphic novels we got the adventures of young diana soft cover we have wonder woman volume one outlaw uh, this is the soft cover first tom king volume uh, which is issues one to six, and that short story from 
800, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We have... Oh, the title's missing for this one, but it's The Flash, Volume 1, Strange Attractor, uh, soft cover, start of Side Spurrier's mm-hmm. run. Uh, similar thing here, issues 1 to 6, story from 800, and Titans Beast World 2 or Central City 1. Which, to be fair, there's actually, there's enough stuff in there with the kids' mm-hmm. ongoing stories that I get why you're including that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get mean, that. It seems like padding, however, it was a very upfront story, so it's not going to feel... You're you're not gonna feel lost going jumping from the Flash to Beast World. I think see know? if see if they had done like issues one to four plus that I would say it is padding. To yeah. six, so it's like oh it's yep. the same page count as a six issue trade. Mm-hmm. I'd be frustrated, but because it's an addition to six yeah. issues, I'm like okay, I'm fine with it. Whatever. Yeah, uh, that's completion sake. Uh, Penguin Volume One soft cover, uh, <laughs> issues zero to seven of the Penguin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an issue zero. I don't remember that. I think it was, yeah, it was the, the backup stuff. Um, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they reprinted they it as it... an issue zero. Okay, that's mm-hmm. why I don't remember it. Yep. Okay. Because we didn't read it. We read it in the detective. Uh, was it detective? It had to have been. It was our detective there, there... for Batman. Yeah, it was yeah. one of the Yeah, no, quite right, quite right. I just I was like, yeah, I don't remember reading an issue zero. But yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. So that, that's actually quite meaty then. Uh, eight issues worth. Uh, oh, would you believe it? Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, Deluxe mm-hmm. Edition, hardcover. Uh, obviously, because there's a movie getting made, they want this to mm-hmm. be in print in a nice high-quality format. Uh, makes a lot of sense. And given that they've actually cast the role now, it feels like it may actually get made, which is more than can be yes. said for a lot of DC movies that have been announced in the past. Yeah, right? But this is also a glorious new Evilly cover. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it also says that they're going to have brand new introduction by Tom King, a brand new cover by Evely, the never before published alternate script for issue six. So I want, I'm trying to remember which one issue six was, and that was the comet issue. Um, oh, I can't remember what issue. I can't remember. So I'm very curious. I might, I don't go in and buy, you know, full price collections anymore, but I might have to for this one. Uh, we got Harley Quinn, black, white, and redder. Uh, soft mm-hmm. cover we got absolute miracle or mr miracle by tom Oof. king and mitch jared's uh for for uh well it's an absolute edition so it's a big tall yeah. hardcover even bigger than the deluxe's oh my god jared's art's gonna look fantastic in that yeah it does seem perfect for a mm-hmm. for an absolute um i i tend to i think prefer deluxe's as a size i think it's the perfect mm-hmm. size of a physical book but I can't really blame someone for wanting an absurdly big hardcover of some of these things. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you get Absolute Batman, Death of the Family. I'm trying to forget this era. <laughs> that noise uh, was not... Um, was that... To be fair, I, I actually... This was before I fell off of Snyder. I, didn't, I mean, I read all of it, but... I just... I still liked I, it at this point. I appreciate what it was trying, but it just felt like... The lack of editorial where they had Joker's face cut off and then that wasn't even really factoring in uh, to Capullo and Snyder until later. Because I, I, I talked to Capullo about that at a con and he's like, yeah, Scott just went with it um, because of stuff that had happened in the other book. I think it was, I think it was tech. It was because Joker- this, this absolute edition collects uh, Detective mm-hmm. Issue 1 so that that's explained for the rest. So yeah. that's funny to me that if you buy this to read this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say classic story because I don't think it's actually no. that well regarded yeah. compared to other things, but the first issue is not actually by the creative team that nope. the rest of the, the, the book is, which is funny to me. But hey. Uh, yeah. 
That that said, the the quarter owl stuff I much preferred in the lead up to this. So when we, we when we jumped to this, it was a bit frustrating. But yeah, uh, I I at least I, I think I preferred this a little bit to Court of Owls at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Having when I reread Court of Owls a couple of years ago, I remember thinking mm-hmm. that the signs of the things that I don't like about Snyder's Batman were already there. Yeah. I just didn't recognize them at the time because he hadn't right. like, gone in, into the deep end yet. So I don't know how much I would enjoy Death of the Family if I read it now. Probably nowhere near as much as I did at the time. Right. That'd be my guess. I uh, just remember there's a really creepy moment with uh, Joker hiding under Commissioner Gordon's bed. And just I was like, oh yeah, Snyder came from horror. This makes sense. Yeah, uh, next up was uh, Batman and Robin Adventures Omnibus. This is uh, Ty Templeton, Paul Denny, and Hilary J. Bader who wrote this series. This is... Uh, it's basically obviously based on the animated show mm-hmm. uh, it's a 25 issue run with an annual a mini series and a, and a one shot so seems like a complete collection of that stuff i never read any of it so i can't comment on it but cool uh then we got a superman by kurt Busick book one uh mm-hmm. 700 pages hardcover uh that's pretty neat uh which yeah. is what's this this is superman 650 to 658 so this is after superman Straight after Infinite Crisis. Yeah, I was just saying, though, this is after Adventures of Superman went back to being called Superman. Mm -hmm. And Superman Volume 2 ceased to exist. Okay. But it also has, so it has Action Comics, which is up, up, and away. So that was the, they were alternating. It was all one story. Um, Action Comics, Superman, and then Superman, the Man of Steel annual. But it also has his uh, secret identity. Which is a very, very good Elseworlds tale. Oh yeah, it's, it's very good. Yeah. Which you, if if you're listening to us and you haven't, you should just track that down, find it in print, um, and you could read it on its own. It's it's one of my favorite Superman stories. Yeah, that's interesting that that's in there because it, it mm-hmm. makes it feel less like a collection of a run and more like a collection yep. of just everything he's done on Superman. Yep. Uh, so I'm not even sure what a book two would include. I'd have to go back and check what else he did and how long his run went. But <sighs> yeah. Uh, I think I think was it Busiek? It was either Busiek or someone did the New Fifty Two Superman. Um, so maybe they would include that type of stuff. No, too. it wasn't. It wasn't Busiek. It wasn't Busiek. Okay. No, that was. Uh, Is that Perez? Yeah, it was George Perez who did okay. the first like arc, maybe two arcs, and then okay. eventually Lobdell came in. <laughs> I want to say. I try. I try to forget that around issue really thirteen. I think Lobdell came in. It was kind of weird. Uh, Absolute Justice new edition. So this has had a, a an mm-hmm. absolute before. They, this is this is nothing but Alex Ross art though. So it looks gorgeous yeah. and absolute. I think I had the old Absolute actually. Uh, once upon a time, uh, GSA the Golden Age twenty twenty four edition. So new edition of this big soft cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we got the Flash Year One twenty twenty four edition because people are itching to read Joshua Williamson's the Flash Year One arc as a standalone thing. Oh, Matt's so disgusted that he's getting up and leaving. This is unprecedented. He's so upset. I actually think he was just shouting at the way for something. I don't know. Anyway, yes. So next up, we got Human Target Volume 2. Soft cover. Uh, second half yep. of that. And that wraps up the solicits. That's everything. We made it. Yeah. So... I don't know why you got up, but I was joking that yeah, it's because you were so disgusted that they were reprinting the Flash Year One. You're not half wrong, but no, my cat wanted out, and she uh... was she was shaking the door. She put her paw underneath. <laughs> I was trying to open it, and I was like, okay, I can't. Yeah, it's, yeah, you yeah. Know. 
I, I'm well aware of the, the tactics that are uh -huh. taken by the felines. So yeah, that's unless it's uh, interesting. I will say, like, a lot of good books right now that I'm enjoying, mm -hmm. uh, and they all seem to be continuing in this solicits. I will say it did stick out as I was going through these, just how much of the solicits do fall under the bat family of books. Like, yep. it's literally half the solicits, maybe more than half, which, you know, is probably worth critiquing. And it's not that I want to cut any of those, to be honest. It's more that I would like to add some of the other characters to get more books. Uh, so. Yeah, I, but I do like how the Superman books have, have expanded a bit. I know they they've you know they they have Power Girl in there now. We have Action and Superman. I would like to see more. I, would, I mean, even a Supergirl you know, book's an obvious one. I would like a Supergirl to... book or even more Black Label Superman books. Oh sure, you know. Yeah. So I like that. But we we have two Green Lantern books right now. But yeah, nice. I mean, um, I mean technically there's two Flash books, but we don't really want to talk about the second one. Yeah. So. Well, I suppose Steve, uh, you could uh, Jay Garrick, but that's a mini, yeah. so that's not going to be around uh, mm -hmm. much longer. So, you know, so there are stuff, and I, I get it, Batman sells, and we don't read the majority of it. We, I mean, we read most of it, but there's certain things. You realize the majority nice. and most mean the same thing, don't you, Matt? Yes, I know, but I, I was trying to correct myself on the fly, because we read, we read Batman out of obligation at this point. Well, yeah, the main because, book, but Detective, yeah. Nightwing, Birds of Prey, mm -hmm. like, uh, I'm yeah. reading Batman and Robin. Uh, the, the, yeah. You know, well, I think we, we did cover most of them. Mm-hmm. Not Red Hood, like, we're not reading Red Hood the Hill this well, week, no. right? I mean, like, we have some standards. That's this one, yes. Unlike uh -huh. some people who should be here, but decided not to be. Mm -hmm. Possibly. He still hasn't answered because I've been checking. Uh, so. So, yeah, anyway, we'll uh, get on to to the comics because we got an uh, interesting bunch to talk about, starting with. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, David was not happy with my over-the-top introduction uh, to Batman last week. Oh, yeah? No, no. Um, I believe the phrase, you bastard, uh, was uttered, <laughs> and he cut out a good bit of my bullshit. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so funny. So I'll, 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 I'll be nicer. I'll be nicer. We're starting with Batman 143, legacy number 908. This is Chip Zarsky writing with Giuseppe Camincoli and Andrea Sorrentino on the art. And hey, that Sorrentino art, every time I get to one of those pages, I'm like, damn, look, this is good stuff. And the Camincoli art was, was not bad. I just wish I cared about what was going on in the story. Oh, you know? Okay, like, I was trying to start with the positive, but you, nah. you, you, you were determined to pivot as into negativity as quickly as possible. So fine. You know what, Matt? You're getting yeah. the negativity. I yes. hate this issue i hate what this book does by the end of his issue i hate yep. the entire conceit of joker being trained to be the joker by someone yep. who also trained batman because he wants to help create the yep. opposite and yes i realized that by the end of the issue the the trainer dude does question or oh, maybe the joker like saw me coming and was pretending to need help, but was actually just trying to learn things about Batman. I accept that he put that in there. I still don't care. I hate the idea of Joker getting training like Batman did to become the Joker, and the idea that you're just further tying it to so that he's a mirror image of Batman. He like yep. part of what makes the Joker so special is he is a consequence of Batman, of Batman. becoming Batman, and mm -hmm. he is just this random person. He it's is just this this 
force of chaos that could not have been predicted it's... and using it to just shoehorn in a character that you made for your miniseries and that you want to shove down our throats again like i matt when i saw the editor's not saying check out batman the night for more yeah. i my eyes my eyes that could was... have not rolled further back remember... into my head we weren't a big fan of that issue either because it was all about Bruce learning how to not feel pain. And we're like, all right, this is a, a little bit much as far as the training go. Right. Like, mm. so to bring this character back, we already weren't big on. And then, like you said, Joker is a consequence of Batman's actions. And it's what, you know, and, and Nolan's Batman begins at the end where Gordon and Batman are talking and Gordon brings up escalation and then he flips over the Joker card, right? That is the perfect use of why Joker exists, right? Is that once Batman made himself known, the bad guys were going to start getting just as flashy, you know? Yeah. And obviously the person that is the Joker was obviously alive before that because right. he's an adult already. Like He obviously right. existed in some form. But right. th- this idea of like him... Or even just the idea of like the doing a year one, an origin story where it's about him going from being just turned white to actually developing who the Joker is, mm-hmm. is just not something I am interested in. I don't no. think it's engaging. I think it takes away from anything I like about the character. So I hate it. Now, just con- conceptually, I hate this art. Yes. I hate this issue. Now, if I am going to be positive about one thing in this, mm-hmm. is the. When 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 the one guy, which I know he has a name, but you know I don't the, the brain guy, either. when he brings up that he feels like there's three different Jokers, right? Mm. In this one, and I always like that because part of the Joker and part of the chaos is Bruce never knows which version of the Joker he's getting in different stories, right? So they talk about there's the one who's like an imp with a devilish behind him, right? And that's kind of the the classic Joker, the laughing Joker, but then there's the one that's like a lot more dark and sullen. And I, I kind of tied that to the killing joke version. And then there's the one that's just the pure demon. Right. And I don't know if we've really seen that version of Joker, you know? So just the idea that just like in Batman, there's, there's Bruce, there's Batman. And then there's like Bruce at the cave with Alfred and the boys. Right. I like that. There's different kind of iteration, depending on what's going on with well... Joker. <clears throat> Okay, saying that he's got different aspects to his personality that come mm-hmm. out and maybe using that to justify the whole three Jokers thing rather than mm-hmm. there's physically three different people yeah. that are the Joker. I'm not necessarily against that. I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. However, the idea that he develops this because this trainer dude yeah. be- developed... but Basically, this yeah. trainer dude has his own Zuran R. What does he call him? The, the, the Den or something. I don't remember, but I was like, can we not do this? Where, where is it, hon? The Car MZ. Like, that's, yeah. that's what he calls it. So his voice changes, his speech bubbles turn red, and it's the mm-hmm. idea that this trainer has a different, darker personality that he lets out when he <sighs> needs it, right? And I'm like, so what you're saying is, is that this guy literally taught Bruce, taught Batman, yeah. the idea of creating a Zero NR. The idea that Joker's multiple personalities are all just his Zero NRs. Yeah. I hate that because again, you're just like this. Yeah. This Zuran R thing is overplayed at this point. At this point, yeah. like, anyway, like I, well, I, I'm sick of it now. And I was gonna tie that into Zdarsky doing like, hey, there's a thing that's good in here, and then it, he pushes it too far, right? Like there's a seed in there that I can get behind, but then you just remind me I forgot about the Zuran R thing, and it pissed me off because the whole idea of Batman creating Zuran R, 
I like, again, in principle, but we've gotten so much of it. It's kind of lost its meaning. You know, I like the idea of Zernar being this, this backup personality for Bruce when things get tough, like in Batman R.A.P. You know, it's his, it's his kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like, like reboot kind of like when you reboot your computer back to the, its main thing, that's kind of what Zernar is for Bruce. And now I just feel like, oh no, it's just militant Batman. And Zernar has now lost that kind well, of backup personality the, for the me. The problem is it's just using it again. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it felt special the first time. It felt like a big deal, yeah. but now it's just a trope in Batman to yeah. just keep going back to that well. And it just feels like it's lost any mystique or any special feeling that it ever had. And now you're saying that this other guy taught him to do it, so he's got his own Zero and R with a different name, and that Joker's multiple variations are all just kind of different takes on his own Zero and R. Like, all of that, like, just frustrates me, and you're now stretching a concept that I think you've made me not like with Batman, and you're mm-hmm. making it this this thing that's not even just unique to him, that, it, that it's this like skill that other people have learned and taught to each other again i hated this character when we read him in the night and this made me like him even less than i already did you know it's very because batman stuff and i just like again him teaching them not to feel pain i just like that's a bit too far because for me with with joker is he is so wrapped up in what he's doing right he's a force of nature at a certain point and that's why he can keep coming at batman um, yeah, I also, I, I admittedly, again, I'm acknowledging at the end of the book, the trainer admits that he's not sure if Joker ever actually wanted his training or just wanted to use him to learn about Batman. But mm-hmm. as I was reading it, it was also annoying me this idea that he kept saying, "Oh, you're 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 afraid of one thing, the Batman. Mm-hmm. I will take that fear out of you." And I, and all I could think was like, no, to me, Joker was never scared of Batman. Mm-hmm. He. If he's excited by Batman, he loves yeah. messing with Batman. I bring it up all the time, and that's why I love Heath Ledger's, like we're going back to Nolan, is when he goes, kill you, what would I do without you? You know? It yeah. is a yin and a yang, is that Joker can't exist without Batman. I also, you know? and on that same note, actually, one of the things that I don't like about the future stuff, you know, this whole, mm-hmm. everyone's got a Joker zombie Joker-ized. virus, right? Yeah. Uh, is he keeps saying Bruce, right? He keeps calling him Bruce. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't really care if he knows that he's Bruce Wayne, whatever, yeah. but I kind of feel like Joker, and it's kind of similar to Gordon in a lot of ways, yeah. actually, is I don't think Joker cares who the person mm-hmm. is, because who he really is is Batman, and that's what Joker yeah. cares about. So this idea that he keeps saying Bruce and Brucey over and over again as if he's trying to get under his skin, I don't know, it just doesn't feel... I, for me, it works in a horror aspect, right? Because it's... It's almost like this inevitable, like it feels like Batman, the end where, you know what I mean? Where finally, finally they're on even playing ground and he knows who he is, but it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, she's trying to shake. Don't get me wrong. This is not the only story that's guilty of this, Mm -hmm. but personally, if I'm writing a Joker story where he learns who Bruce Wayne is, if he learns that Batman is Bruce Wayne, my Mm -hmm. instinct would be to say that Joker would just kind of like push that aside and say, I don't care. You're Batman. Yeah. Like yeah. that. That's how I think he would it's, react to that because that's who he cares the bat about. It's that I want. You know, that's that's what goes with, with and, him. And and we always talk about how that's who who he really is. He really is mm-hmm. Batman. Yeah, his name mm-hmm. is Bruce Wayne, but you know, it's yeah. this, when he's holding the lasso of truth it's, and that Wonder Woman annulus, yeah. and they say, "Who are you?" He answers Batman because that's who he yeah. really is. Right. 
Um, and it's also it's stuff. I think it maybe wasn't Joker, but I remember when Dick took over the mantle. One of the villains were like, "That's not the same guy. He moves differently," you know. And I feel like if that's Joker, he almost loses interest when it's not Bruce because he can tell the difference. Uh, Joker but, definitely knew, but it wasn't. Yeah. But, but, uh, funny actually, I I just said mm-hmm. there that it's kind of like Gordon remembering back to that mm-hmm. run. Both Gordon and Joker recognized yeah. that it wasn't the same person. Mm-hmm. Gordon obviously talks to him a lot up front, so he can tell it's a different yeah. person, and that makes you know reasonable yeah. amount of sense. But there's a great moment in that run where Joker turns to Dick in the bat outfit and says, mm-hmm. "You know, you only get through this if you're as good as he was." Like, and it's this yeah. idea that he knew instantly that this wasn't the mm-hmm. same person under the mask, and right. he's kind of treating him with like a different attitude because it's not him. Yeah. He, he probably just assumes that hey, it's probably the first Robin that's in there because. It makes the most sense yeah. that someone like that graduated to be the Batman. So, right, like like he got a promotion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's almost like that whole concept of fully ado, which is the the shared madness, is that Bruce and Joker are going to be shared because of Bruce's hand and having him created, right, by knocking him in that, that of acid. But I don't think Bruce necessarily cares who Joker was either, right? He's just dealing with who Joker is now. You know, because I don't I think that even if Bruce found out about all the sheer one stuff, I don't think it changes how he deals with Joker. He's not going to try to relate to him on a human level because that person that was Joker, you know, before is gone. You know, so it's it's again, it's it's a it's a madness shared by two. And I feel like Zdarsky is is pushing this more into a personal level that I just don't feel like it needs. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, there's a bunch of stuff here. Gordon gets suspended because he punches a cop who's corrupt mm-hmm. and intentionally gets another cop who's like on the line for the crimes. It basically makes him try and escape so that he's got a justifiable reason to kill him. Mm-hmm. And Gordon sees through it. He, he knows that this was staged just so that this guy would be killed so he couldn't talk. Gordon punches the other corrupt cop and gets suspended for it. Uh, you know... They're trying to deal with the whole Red Hood gang thing. In the future, Batman's confronting Joker. Joker's leaving him all these clues about the Red Hood gang. Um, I will say, I did think the art and the the pages of Catwoman in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. You get grey-haired Selina, uh, like Batman and her encounter each other. And because oh. the virus spreads through laughter, um, blocking out noise actually stops it from happening. So Batman's mm-hmm. got like fancy earplugs. And mm-hmm. Selena's got she, she's figured it out as well, and she's she, she's basically just taped like cotton wool over her ears yep. to stop the noise. Um, so it was like there's a good couple of pages with them, like the art of them kissing, and, and she's in like her old school outfit with the gray hair. It looks really good. Huh. It she's very reminiscent of Michelle Pfeiffer though too, like in her face. Like, I definitely feel like Sorrentino was going for that vibe. Um, so sure. I appreciate that. I, I can see it. Uh, and then that also reveals that she's locked up the rest of the Bat family who are all infected. So we see mm-hmm. uh, Barbara Gordon with her GCPD outfit on. We see Dick, well, looks like Cassandra, uh, Tim, and Damien in his like a uh, Batman-looking attire. Yeah, he's got the the trench coat. Yeah, uh, with the the large collar. But they're all Jokerized because they've all been infected. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but at the, the tail end of this here. Um, Catwoman, it turns out, has been infected and releases all of the uh, the Bat family into the world. So that's kind of your big cliffhanger for the mm-hmm. future stuff. The present day stuff, or the past stuff, I should say, because it's year one. Uh, Joker, 
you know, kills the, the trainer, basically yeah. acts out. Um, this is where he questions if the Joker ever even needed to like get his help or if he just wanted information. And it just kind of uh, ends with Joker finally killing him and suiting up. Uh, the, the final narration of the trainer says that either way, it doesn't matter to him mm-hmm. because um, like I've your counterpoint exists and he's perfect. That's the final line. Is the idea wow. to him the Joker's perfect. So... Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't like this idea that someone's even, like, even if they're kind of stumbling into it, the idea that someone wants to orchestrate Batman versus the Joker when he's just becoming the Joker and it's their their first ever encounter is because someone wants to see it happen to see how it plays out. I hate, like, I I, I don't need anything, I don't need anything to be added to this. Like, the Joker and Batman's first encounter is just because the Joker comes onto the scene to do Mm -hmm. what he's doing. And throughout the course of dealing with Batman, like obviously that affection for you know fighting off Batman and like becoming enamored with him grows mm-hmm. naturally from there. It doesn't need any connections beforehand. It doesn't need to be, you know, tied thematically in their backstories. It doesn't need any of that. And it's so yeah. frustrating when they, they they try and force this shit in. I hate this issue. I hate this arc. Right. So you just you just said you said someone was trying to form a, a Joker and putting him in Batman to see what happened. And all I heard was the end of the 2018 Halloween where it's like he created <laughs> an apex predator and he released him to see what would happen. And I was like, Oh, and that just hit me. I didn't even think of that till right now. And <laughs> it's never good. You can't pull that story off, Like you just can't like, you know, I, mean, I think you can do it maybe with a, an original character, perhaps. Yeah. And if you really focus on mm-hmm. the like, like their relationship is like a, a mentor mm-hmm. and psychopath kind of thing. But yeah, uh, but you know what? Batman and Joker's like origins are pretty set in stone at this point, mm-hmm. or at least specific versions of them are. I, yeah. You know, we don't need all this extra stuff. Like he's adding all these extra details into how the Joker became the Joker we all know. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't need any more. Like we just no. did. Uh, you know, the, the Tom King Mitch Garage story of the, the Joker's first, like, yeah, his first appearance, his in first Gotham. appearance in Gotham against Batman, and mm-hmm. it was a perfect horror story that treated him with the right sense of mystery, mm-hmm. the right sense of chaos. And then this is the opposite, where it's like, hey, we're going to do all these fancy connections. We're going to explain how he got these scars. <laughs> you know what, though? Yeah. You saying that, uh, and I want to recede that you can't tell that story, because I would not mind seeing Art the Clown as the Apex Predator being released <laughs> to see how he goes, you know? Like, I, I feel like that, uh, what's his name? It's the, the director, Damien. Uh, Leon. Leon, yeah. I feel like he might be able to do it. Maybe that's where we're going with Terrifier 3. You know? Um, I feel like he... But, but again, that's a new character. That's not a a character that we are already really, you know... It's set in stone, they're kind of their origin. So, yeah, this was... this was oh Man, that's the first thing I read this week. It almost made me want to quit. It, it, yeah, it's just, it's just not Joker. Like, no one mm-hmm. created and manipulated the Joker into being the Joker. No. That That's just not who he is. Right? Yeah, it, except it, for his own failings as a person, which lead him to that that of it's, acid, right? It's the, it's the same as um saying someone's behind the destruction of Krypton. Like you've just mm-hmm. you've taken away a big part of what that actually meant before. Yeah, Rogels are. <laughs> so it's just Who? one of these exactly. 
Like, I don't know what it is about comic writers and, like, yeah. feeling the need you, to go back and redefine you, parts of Origins like this. You know who I blame? And he's one of my favorite writers, and he could pull off this a lot, but it was Jeff Johns. Mm. Jeff Johns going back into histories and retconning certain things. Granted, he wasn't as, I wouldn't say, anything that he did in Rebirth with Flash and with Green Lantern wasn't egregious as this, right? Maybe, maybe making Zoom responsible for Barry's mom's death you know, but that's a new 52 thing um, it is up there with this, but nothing's ever this bad. But I would put that on him because um, Williamson's kind of a student of John's and he's he's guilty of this a lot, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I'll put that blame on John's as, yeah. as much as it pains me. Yeah, he was generally better at it than this, mm-hmm. though, uh, yeah. to be fair. But it's yeah, it's something I could just do without just like have the stories evolve going forward and we're always obsessed with going back and revealing something that happened in the past that we didn't know about until this point yeah. and i'm not saying you can't do small moments but like doing no. these big grand stories it's... that redefine things like eh. yeah i always like the idea with joker too that his origin is choose your own adventure I, I i like that there's different versions of it out there and he tells a different one different times you know um so any type that seems like it's definitive it, it's automatically going to lose me because I don't care who the Joker was before. I, I care about the Joker when he shows up as is, with the white face, with the green hair, as the clown prince of crime. Yeah, it, it could be something that you can theorize over. It can be something mm-hmm. that you maybe have some cool ideas about, but never anything that should be, feel like it's set in stone, I don't think. Yep. and uh, not, not that this is really defining who he was before he fell into the mm-hmm. vat of chemicals but mm-hmm. um all of this stuff that he's he's like building up like this is his year of training like briskin and he's like yeah. you know years going around like get re- training how to fight the idea mm-hmm. that he's even doing like a week of training with this guy to become the yep. joker is infuriating to me <laughs> yeah. yeah all right uh let's stop talking about this issue what are you giving him that <laughs> uh if it wasn't for the art this would be a lot lower but i'm gonna give this a four for a four i was at 0.5 but talking about it made me like it less Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll agree with the four. Yeah, yeah. There's good art in it, but I just I hate conceptually so much of what this this book is. So yeah, yeah. I also want to put out to Cami Coley's Joker towards the end. Does the black beady eyes that they they got to with the Joker in uh, think it was season four of the animated series? Um, so I appreciate that. It's a different kind of of joker so it's a shame that this art's kind of being wasted on this bunk story yeah okay action comics 1062 jason aaron rating with john thames on art we're having a positive week matt because we're going to be positive again about this issue aren't we i waited all week to read this (laughs) and then i went you fool (laughs) <laughs> look look i love jason aaron he is one of my favorite comic writers his star run one of my favorite i i never want to see him writing bizarro again because oh, God. my main issue with this isn't anything in the story i mean it is part of the story but if if all of these characters are turning into bizarro shouldn't they be speaking as bizarro speaks well here's the here's the weird thing is that i felt like some panels they were and some they weren't they right? just there weren't. was no yeah. consistency so when when Superman is thinking as Bizarro number one, and the 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 voice that he's hearing 
is speaking like Bizarro. It sticks out on the pages when like the Bizarro Lois is yelling at him and and saying he's a danger. In Bizarro though, being a danger is not being a danger, right? So they should not be hating. They should be talking about how much they love Superman, right? Not how much they hate him. I think some of these you could argue they are spacing the opposite depending on the panel, but there's Uh definitely some where it feels like definitively they are saying the wrong emotion if they're supposed to be speaking in the opposite. And and Bizarro Speak is annoying to read Mm -hmm. at the best of times. When it's inconsistent, like I feel like it was in this issue, it became yep. even more annoying, and I found yes. this very, very unenjoyable to to read. It was, and not not to mention again, you know, I complained about this recently, and this this ties into what's going on part of that Batman story as well as you know everyone in the mm-hmm. city's turned into ex villain kind yep. of thing. Um, I mean, there's a whole thing earlier in the issue where it's like everyone's doing the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing, so the firefighters are actually just spraying fire onto houses, which yep. okay, I, I get the joke. Okay, it works. Yeah, and and I like that because that's very bizarro, right? That's very silly, very zany. The idea that Aaron's taking Bizarro, making him this dark figure who wants to cause pain. Yes, I think you can do that. Um, I just don't think it's executed well here. And it does give Superman something to do, right? It's it's tiring him out and he's doing all this other stuff. Well, just to clarify here, he actually mm -hmm. does get taken over for a little bit at the start Mm -hmm. of the issue. And then effectively fights it off uh, to to try and save everyone. And as the issue goes on, Metropolis is quarantined, so it's just people in Metropolis, and all the heroes are staying outside. He's talking to Batman, he's talking to others. He's like, no, no one can come in because people might get infected with it and there's nothing we can do. And Mm -hmm. Batman points out that Superman's even sort of slowly turning, that he's he's like fighting it off, but it's not something he can do forever. By the end of the issue, though, there's a time skip. And mm-hmm. it seems like the entire world has turned yeah. into Bizarro's because it seems like the quarantine's fallen apart and he's flying around expecting to just see Bizarro's everywhere. And mm-hmm. this is just like a broader complaint about comic books in general, I guess. But how many times has the entire planet and, and the DC universe like been turned into something and people just get mm-hmm. over it? Remember how they were all turned into like fish monsters and like that Aquaman uh, mm-hmm. plot back at early Rebirth? Throne yep. of Atlantis, everyone get mm-hmm. turned into fish monsters. <laughs> like, like how many? Like, they were just turned into starfish beasts in Beast World. That's true. Like this happens too often. Okay, too yeah. often. <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah. That, that said, uh, so. I do like that it. Uh, you get a flashback of Bizarro coming to Earth and everybody like essentially bullying him. You know, talking about how stupid he is and how dumb of a concept. So I do like that because I have a soft spot for Bizarro when he's used properly uh, and so for that being his inciting incident on wanting to do something bad that the people of earth were so mean to him um that he he wanted them to feel like him i like that thread and that's the jason aaron stuff that i like again it's just the execution to get there Ugh, it's a lot i just didn't find it enjoyable to read for the most part like mm-hmm. I, I didn't like listening or reading all the day, the the, the bizarro bizarro speak. Um, yeah. dealing with a lot of stuff if it, as much as the joke that everyone's doing the opposite of what they're supposed mm-hmm. to I appreciated you know it was it was kind of a mm-hmm. one note thing like after a couple pages like I get it like yeah. you know, everyone's doing the opposite uh, there's a whole extended sequence where Superman's about to snap and then it looks like he heat visions a bunch of people mm-hmm. and like causes chaos and then obviously he sort of snaps out of it yeah. it's actually very reminiscent of a scene in The Boys where 
<laughs> Homelander imagines just heat visioning an entire crowd of people because he's angry. Yes. But because that's the boys, for a second, you're like, is he actually doing it or is this a dream sequence? Because this is the yep. boys. He might just be murdering people. How is, well, yeah, and my question on that was, well, how is how is he going to talk himself out of this one? Because it's Homelander. He, he'll find a way. <laughs> You know? Because he wants to be loved, and he thinks that he yes. won't be loved anymore. If so, it's all an ego thing. It's all about yep. being a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the the real danger is when he realizes that some people will support him, even if he does do things like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I can't get back on the boys. Yeah, the boys is very good. Po- yes. fantastic political commentary. Uh, yes, um, but yeah, I go back to Superman and stuff though. But yeah, him him doing that again, I thought that was effective storytelling because I was like, no, there's. Out of anyone that's gonna make Superman kill, it's not gonna be Bizarro, you know. But I did get worried for for yeah. a hot second, you so, know. Here's the thing. I read this just after Batman, mm-hmm. so the ending of this, which I don't, th- <laughs> I, I don't think I would have ever liked the ending to this anyway. Yeah. But having read it right after I read Batman, which is just yeah. actively doing a Joker story that I don't like. So Superman flies out the city. <laughs> he mentions the quarantine spell, and it's implied that the entire world. And he specifically flies to Gotham, right? That's where he goes. Mm-hmm. And he's like, there's one person who might be able to, like, help me. And I'm like, oh, who's this going to be? This is interesting. Like, who's he going to go see? He goes to Gotham. And he's like, oh, given the state of the world, there's only one man alive who's probably right for this job. And of course, it's the Joker. And I get that the idea here is, is that because everyone's flipped to the opposite, the Joker has flipped to being like the most sensible, smartest person in the world, or something. Like I get the logic of that, kind of, yeah. but part of me did groan because I just kind of felt like, oh, <laughs> that we're doing. I Joker was hoping stuff. <laughs> we were going to be getting Batzaro, which is the Bizarro version of Batman. You know, but um, why would he be helpful though if he's Bizarro? I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't want to see the Joker because I began my week with Joker and I ended my week with Joker. You know, I, I, conceptually, I don't hate it, right? I understand yeah. what the what the idea is here is that because everyone's flipped to the opposite, mm-hmm. the Joker's suddenly become the most helpful person that you could possibly yes. find. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I just read a really bad Joker story, and mm-hmm. I'm not really enjoying this story all that much. Yeah. So. This kind of felt a little bit like, oh, really? This is this is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, plus, you know, when I think of Joker and Superman stories, the first thing that mm-hmm. my mind goes to is Emperor Joker, and I hated that story. <laughs> so it's just it's, it, there's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of baggage for yeah. Joker being the 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 reveal at the end of this issue. I will say I do like the design of Bizarro Joker. You know, it's not too over the top. He looks kind of normal. So I, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I wish I liked this more. John Tim's art's pretty good throughout, though. I like yeah, his, yeah, his breakdowns. Uh, the breakdowns are, are, are pretty good. I mean, again, that scene where he 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 visions and we think that he's turned. Uh, that's all handled really well. The the tiredness on Superman's face, you know, it, it comes through. So... It's all there. I just, I wish I enjoyed this more just because of the creative team. I'm, I'm a fan of theirs. Um, and, and it's just not. And, and then we get Williamson after this, and then it just really makes me with, miss the War World stuff. You know, we were cooking at that point. Uh, so, yeah. Here we are. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think the book's a little repetitious because it feels like it's going over the same ground a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got that extra page count because it's got the the pages that the backup would have uh, mm-hmm. effectively, and I don't think it needed to be that long. Um, I'm also wondering what our friend on Twitter, Talking Superman, thinks of this because he does not like does not like Batman. So the idea of a Batman yeah. character showing up at the end <laughs> is quite I funny. Know, to me. I know. I saw him before I realized. I saw his reaction to this, and it was basically what you said: of it's very repetitious. And okay. why are we doing this? And he expects more from Aaron. You know. Yeah, I, I think. My biggest complaint, though, I mean, it is repetitious, is just that we're doing, A, that everyone in Metropolis turns into Bizarro, but mm-hmm. that even, it just multiplied when it's like, oh, no, the entire world's done it now. The entire world's yep. turned into, it's like a virus that spread all over the world. Yeah. I'm like, we just did a good version of this in Beast World, right? Yep. I like Beast World a lot, but we do this so often in comics that it's it just it loses all meaning, right? It's, it's, it's when they're bringing characters back from the dead. It, death means nothing anymore. Yes. Yeah. Everyone turning into something means nothing. The people mm-hmm. in the DC Universe's version of Earth have been through more as a civilization than any civilization has ever lived. Okay? Yeah. They have yeah. been through so many things and just went back to life like it's normal. It's absurd. Yeah. And that's just part of comics, I guess. But I just feel like... I just... I wish more writers would, ex- would, would just understand that we don't have to actually make everything be the entire world or the entire city even are affected by something. It can just be, you know, you can make a small scope story that has really big stakes. It doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be the entire world. Right. It could have just been Metropolis and it won't leave because Bizarro has this weird, like he only sees the world as Metropolis, right? Yeah. You know, and I can deal with Metropolis falling into Bizarro. I mean, that's, that's a Superman story, right? That's just part of, part of the equation. But yeah, the whole world's a bit much, uh, and just I did like though that they tried to get fate, but fate had fallen to the Bizarro and was just causing all sorts of chaos because a Bizarro version of Doctor Fate would be about chaos, not order. Mm. So you know, so I did like that, and like Zatanna was having issues because don't forget that the origin of this spell came from that uh, planet of sorcerers, you know. So of course Zatanna's having a hard time breaking through all of this stuff so there's again there's there's plot points in here i'm enjoying i just wish i enjoyed the rest of it and that's yeah that's the difference between batman and this is i can i can see the intent where it's supposed to be going i'm just not enjoying the ride you know yeah i'm not enjoying the ride or whatever over on the other book i mean i'm not really enjoying the destination in this either that much to be Mm -hmm. honest but i don't hate this as much as the current batman arc like the current batman arc i despise this like, I'm just completely just like I feel I feel this ends with with Superman hugging Bizarro and telling him it's okay because uh, of how sad and upset that it it made him and it's going to be a learning lesson for Bizarro because at the end of the day Bizarro's not all bad he he intends to do good but how many um, times have we had that ending to a Bizarro story True but how many times have we had Aaron do it you know, I feel like the emotion's going to be there because I feel like Bizarro's going to be sorry no, once no, he comes out no, of this stupor. No, Jason Aaron having not done it before, like your argument there is completely invalidated by the fact that these two issues have not been good. It wouldn't matter that it's Jason Aaron writing it because he's already proven that he's not comp- making true, a compelling case for it. But I'm working myself up that when <laughs> when it doesn't happen, I'm going to be real mad. So the, you know, uh, I can't. Can't get on board with that thinking at all. And, that, and that's fine, because I dug myself a hole and I was trying to climb back out of it. Uh, this you is... 
I think this is weak sauce. I think it's a weak concept. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's... Because at least... At least, while he's doing wild things with Batman and Batman mm-hmm. Off-World, it feels mm-hmm. pretty new for Batman to be in that yeah. situation. Whereas everything he's doing here with Bizarro and Superman, I kind of feel like, yeah, this is just kind of some old shit. That he's just reheating some old ideas, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, hey. Plus, at the end of this, it says, Bizarro Joker, most sane man in the face of new, and then it says Earth backwards. It's Hitray. 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 Yeah, yeah whatever you want to say it. Yeah. Uh, that annoyed me too because you know what Bizarro speak is annoying I I like my patience for it like from the day I started reading comic books the first time yeah. I read a Bizarro story until now you can track a, a, a line in a graph so, that's just going I, down like this my patience just waning over the years of like I hate this shit stop it <laughs> so I just want to tell people if you want a good Bizarro story that is very much comedy based uh, the DCU which is Y-O-U uh it wasn't quite an imprint, but it was like a story initiative to tell these new different stories. It's where we got the Starfire book out of that I love so much. Um, there was a Bizarro six-issue miniseries that's essentially Bizarro and and Jimmy Olsen going across the country and getting into misadventures. And it's not all Bizarro speak, and it's very much, you know, fourth wall breaking, tongue-in-cheek type stuff. Uh, and it's by... Uh, Heath Corson and Gustavo Duarte. So if, if Bizarro seems like your type of thing and you want a story that you might not have been read that is quite different, that isn't like every single Bizarro story, that one you guys should definitely check out. I love the idea that there's someone out there who is a big Bizarro fan and mm-hmm. has read every Bizarro thing, loves yeah. Bizarro speak, and can't get enough of it and thinks it's the best thing in comics. I am not here to belittle you, kind person, whoever you are. I just yes. think it's fascinating that you exist. <laughs> he he is your bizarro. He or she is your bizarro. Yes. It's just, so, it's just, and I don't hate bizarro as a concept. No. Like I, I've never disliked bizarro in general. I just... Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think it's another really middling issue overall because I, I just mm-hmm. can't quite get on board with everything that it's doing. Uh... Yeah, art is solid, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of good images in here. It's very consistent throughout. Um, yeah. All right, what are you, you given Action Comics? Um, I'm at 6.5. Yeah, I'm going to go with a 5.5 yeah. uh, for me. So, yeah. Definitely, I definitely don't hate it like I do the Batman no. stuff right now, but mm-hmm. it, I'm not liking it either. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's in that middling kind of territory. Yep. All right, Batman and Robin, issue six, legacy number 72. Joshua Wilson writing with Nikola Shemeshka on the, on the art. We're getting better. I We're getting it, better. Give it my all, all right? Uh, so it's just me reading this. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's so funny because I would not describe this book as one that I am particularly looking forward to. It's an easy read. I enjoy parts of it. It's definitely, you know, it's Williamson, so it's got its ups and its downs. Mm-hmm. I find it more tolerable than some of his other stuff. Uh, but the bar after Batman in action was so relatively low that surely this is a step up, right? Surely? I'm, I'm hoping you say yes. <laughs> well, uh, you, you you had play your cards right in the US, right, at a game show? I don't think so, unless we call it something else. Oh, is that what it was called? I think it was called that. Basically, basically, like you know, they get 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 like a playing card out, right? And it would mm-hmm. be you'd have to make bets on if it's going to be higher or lower. And then they'd... I think there was a game in the eighties called Card Sharks that was like that. Okay, okay. 
Uh, I'm pretty sure it's called Play Your Cards Right in the UK. Okay. Uh, hosted by Bruce Forsyth, who also did the Generation game and uh, what was the other one? Oh God, the one with like the Price Is Right. That's the, look, you've had Price and Right. Uh, Price yeah, is right but you guys have Price Right over there and stop Bob Barker? No, it was, it was a UK version. I, we might, wow. I, I don't know if it started with us and went to you or vice versa, because I know yeah. I know some other stuff that's like Deal or No Deal, who, who wants right. to be a millionaire, they were UK shows first, mm-hmm. and then America you know, went and did yeah. their own version. Weakest Link and all that type of stuff. No, Weakest Link's another one. Although mm-hmm. you kept the same presenter for that. For for a while, and then it, they changed. So. Yeah, but you got Anne Robinson mm-hmm. to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was mean. Like, Alex oh, Rebecca was. was never mean on Jeopardy. Yeah, she did not care. I, I kind of like that. Well, that was a gimmick. That was, that was... Yes, I know. But we were so used to here in America, a very compassionate, like, when you miss something on Jeopardy, I actually go, oh, no, sorry. She's just like, wrong, drop. Like, you're she, you're in her supervillain lair, you know? Hmm. So anyway, what I was getting at, though, is, uh, you know, higher or lower than action comics, do you think my rating is going to be? I think it's going to be higher than action comics, but just because... Um, who's, who's on our... The art here maybe might be better than um, than Tim's, but the the writing is definitely you're gonna like what's going on in the story more. Mm. But then I just peeked and saw that it's about shush, uh, so maybe not. I don't know. Uh, not really, actually. I mean, okay. Damien accuses a teacher of being shush, okay. but uh, there's not a lot of shush stuff in this. I mean, remember the last issue ended with mm-hmm. um, the kid. And his class turned out to be the son of Victor Zaz. Yes. Right? So the first half of the issue deals with that. Turns out he's not actually Victor Zaz's son. He just thinks he is. Okay. Right? Uh, because Zaz is getting prison transferred, and this kid skips school. He shows up in what I can only describe as like a ninja hoodie, but it's got the tally marks all over it. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's not actually got them on his body, but he's got like a he's got a hoodie yeah, that has them on that's, it. That's a good look, though. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> that look. Uh, and he comes in, he helps Zaz, he gives him his knife. Batman and Robin were suspicious and following him, uh, so they they jump in and they have a bit of a fight. There's some blades flying to people. Damien pulls the mask off the other kid, and um, Zaz grabs the kid, holds a knife to his throat, and this kid's like, "Yes, yes, you, I can be your hostage. Anything for you." Uh, and like the whole thing's going on and then eventually when Damien's got Zaz uh, down and he's got his knife to his throat and Damien's being all like oh maybe it's time to finally end you Zaz because he's Damien right he, he speaks mm-hmm. a big game uh, this kid cries out no leave my father alone and then Zaz looks over and he's like huh and then starts laughing hysterically uh, and he's like I'm not your father and if I, and I, you definitely wouldn't be my son, your blubbering little pissant, uh, basically just mocks him, tells him he's a whiny little hissy because he's crying, and uh, yeah, then Batman knocks him out. Uh, so it turns out that Zaz killed this kid's parents a oh. number of years ago, and the kid, to try and deal with the memory, convinced himself that Zaz was his real father and that he was trying to save him from his like evil parents that took it, taken him in. And this was like that's dark. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's he's just really disturbed and convinced himself that Zaz is his father, uh, which he isn't. So, uh, also Zaz re- repeatedly says throughout this whole affair that he has no problem killing kids. He likes doing it. It's uh, just to add to the stakes. <laughs> I love how debaucherous Zaz is, though. He's one of those villains. Like I don't want a whole arc of Zaz, 
But when he shows up like this in small doses... Yeah, just a little, little taste yeah. every now and then, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, basically, though, Damien's convinced that the kid was a good fighter, though, so he must have been trained. Therefore, this woman who he thinks was his trainer back in the day uh, right. must, be the, must be the teacher. I remembered it being his... Uh, or maybe I was just theorizing that it was his like science teacher and not the principal, but he accuses the principal. I think yeah. I predicted that it's going to turn out to be the teacher that's nice to him, not the principal who's kind of mean because right. swerve, but they've not revealed that yet. That's just my guess. Yeah. Uh, swerve. But, but the principal's like, I don't know what you're talking about, uh, young Mr. Wayne, but uh, I am just the soccer coach and we have lost our goalie because he's went to a mental institute. <laughs> Because he thinks he's Victor Zazzy's son. Oh, God. And he was the goalie. Goalies are, I don't know if it's the same in soccer, but they always say that the goalie in hockey is the most unhinged because to want a frozen piece of rubber shot at you multiple <laughs> times a game, you have to not be right in the head. I don't know if it's the same with soccer, though. I, I don't. I have no idea. Uh, I think I think they just like the extra power because they can touch the ball with their hands. Yeah. So it's like, oh. Well, and me being the chubby <laughs> kid always wanted to play because, you know, you don't have to run as much. You can just be in goal, you know? So. Ah, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, some of the kids pick on Damien and call him Art Boy. Uh, Bruce is standing there while he's making all these accusations, so he hears some of this. So later that night, Bruce comes to Damien's room and asks him what this Art Boy thing was about. Like, why were they picking on you and calling you that? And Damien shows him his comic book sketches that he's made uh, that, you know, and obviously they saw him drawing this in a previous issue and that's why they were making fun of him and he's basically made a a, a story uh called what damien vane and the murder of crows and it's a villain with he's, he's called the, the crow prince or something he's got like a crown and there's crows and he's, he's basically written a comic book and there's narration boxes of like batman and damien talking about what he's he's done and he's, he's explaining his ideas and Bruce gets all proud and says, oh, you're a great artist, son. This is great. I, blah, blah, right? And he basically says, hey, you don't have to go to school. I realized I was kind of forcing you to do this because it felt like the right thing to do, but I never went to high school, uh, and maybe I'm trying to force you to not be you. Uh, but Damien's like, actually, no. And he, he doesn't really get a finished answer because an alarm goes off because there's been an alert, something to do with Man Bat, because that was like something that was set up at the start of the arc. Mm-hmm. Man Bat's doing stuff. He's got like a cult of followers who are all chanting and saying, raise the bat, blah, 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 blah. Uh, at the end of the issue is out of nowhere, just as they're about to jump in and deal with this cult, someone else takes them all out and it's Flatline who jumps up to Damien hey. and says, hey, stranger, you don't call, you don't write. Can we talk? And then the final panel is just a panel of Batman with the biggest shining grin in his face, just saying, friend of yours, son? Uh, so I think he's proud because he thinks his son's got yes. a girlfriend which yep. it kind of does he does yeah so, I like flatline we, we need more flatline I, I mean I right. like the flatline and Damien stuff and Robin mm-hmm. which was also Williamson so I have mm-hmm. reasonable hopes for this like it was almost like the book was threatening me with going back to the man bat stuff because that yeah. like, that side of the plot was the stuff that I wasn't enjoying in the book yeah. but as soon as the, they almost did it it was like no no it's flatline stuff now I'm like ah okay mm-hmm. that's fine uh, I- I'm enjoying the Damien in high school stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the like, or oh, one of the teachers might be a baddie. Uh, I like Flatline, so I'm having fun overall. And the Zaz stuff was delightfully dark. Like yes. I-, I had a good time with that. It was a nice payoff to everything 
last week. I wouldn't call it like a must-read comic by any means, mm. but I certainly had way more fun with it than anything uh, in the previous two books I read. So, uh, yeah, uh, art is it's solid. It's definitely got a bit of a like an anime style at times with the some mm-hmm. of the, the the smiles and the faces and whatnot. But it kind of works for the energy of the book. Um, I will say Batman being the proud dad with a big smile on his face, it does feel a little bit like out of character almost. Like I get that he's happy, I understand yeah. the joke, but I feel like having giving him like the animated series smirk would probably yeah. be better than this goofy like mm, my boy. You know what though? <laughs> Bruce has a, a tendency to fall for for darker women. It, you know what I mean? <laughs> Talia, Selena. So of course, like Dick. Whether it's Starfire or Babs, right? They're, those are heroes. We don't talk about Jason's life that much. And then <laughs> Tim, Tim has a good boy right now, right? Like he's not a villain, so he's like father, like son. Finally, he's one of my boys is following my footsteps. That was just a we raised. Tim has a good boy right now. So it's like a dog. Yeah, cause, <laughs> no, because he's not a he's not a villain. He's not, he's a civilian. You yes. know what I mean? So yes. you know. Um, and even before that, when when he had Stephanie, Stephanie really wasn't a a villain, you know. No, so, no. you know, I think just uh, the absence of the, the 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 word friend at the end of boy just made it. Yeah. So I just I'm imagining Tim introducing him as this is my boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was using the parlance me and my wife use it from, which is from a podcast. Mm. You know, and you maybe you you know the good boys. There, you follow the rules. You don't you know. Yeah, you don't talk back as a kid, and it turned turns you into a specific kind of person, you know. Yeah. Um, that's why I figure Tim's with right now because I, I haven't been reading any of the Tim stuff. But yeah, I can't believe uh, I'm praising uh, Williamson more than yeah. Jason Aaron and Chip Zarsky, but here we are. Is it, isn't just, it weird? It's just this bizarre land, I guess. Yeah. To... You know what though? He he's always had a touch for writing Damien, right? So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, it's not without its faults, uh, but definitely these last two or three issues that have, once it got past the, those first two or three, which were more focused on the Shush and uh, Man Bat stuff, now mm-hmm. it's doing more of the character stuff, I'm enjoying it a bit more. So yeah, yeah it was a nice little 7 out of 10. I had a good time. Uh, so. so I won that round because that was more than the 6. Uh, 5.5 is what I gave Action Comics. 5.5. Find. Okay. I mean, you're still yes. right, but... Yes. You know. Don't want anyone spreading rumors oh that I give that a six. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Green Lantern, issue eight, legacy number 544. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, and this is uh, Jeremy Adams writing with Amanke and Yehulpin mm-hmm. on the art. So, mm-hmm. this, uh, so we had the flashback issue last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're mm-hmm. back to the, the main present day stuff uh, with this character, Razor, uh, mm-hmm. talking to, to Hal. And basically saying, hey, we have to try and, you know, the, the blue power battery's gone. Uh, we know that at least the yellow one, and what was the other one that's went? Uh, they mentioned another one, but... It's the green, or they also mentioned on Yismalt, which is the red lantern. That's the red one, so, okay. Yep. Uh, so it's like, hey, this is weird, this is all happening. Um, there's a, lot, a quick little flashback to him telling that story. Um, and he's like, hey, we need to get to the United Planets and warn them. Well, first he says the Guardians and Hal's that the Guardians are gone and no one knows where they yeah. are. Well, he's okay, well, the United Planets then. You've got a ring, let's go. And he's like, well, I can't actually fly it out of the atmosphere. It turns off. And he's like, oh, come on. Like, your willpower. If it's turning off, it's because you want it to turn off. 
So Hal's like, okay, fine, I'll give it another try. So Hal tries it like a couple of times and both times almost dies because it turns it's off. It's <laughs> so funny because the way that it starts with his shoes every time. Yeah. Right? When he he hits the upper limits and then the first thing to turn back into civilian clothes is his shoes. And it was just so funny to me. Like it's a very serious moment that I should not be laughing at, but uh, yeah. they handle it well. Yeah, because he tries it and then you get a panel of him like choking in his civvies. And then mm-hmm. he's fallen through the sky, and then he's back into Green Lantern outfit. He's just mm-hmm. like a little bit of his arm still turning into the outfit, and then he flies back up again. So that nice big full page spread almost of him like you know going through the space, but then mm-hmm. it, it does go out again, and he falls back down. It's basically just a couple of pages of comedy, and then he comes back, and goes, mm-hmm. "Nope, not working. We can't just use my ring." <laughs> yeah. So he's like, "Okay, fine. You've got a bunch of super powered friends on Earth. Why don't we go to some of them, and maybe they can get a message out or something?" Like, mm-hmm. like okay. Sounds like a plan. Um, yeah. Carol speeds round the corner and is pissed at Hal because he mm-hmm. never got in touch after the big fight with Sinestro that lasted two issues. And she was worried about him, right? And it's kind of a sweet little moment. Um, like, even even not on an ex, as a, as a friend, as someone that he works for her too, I definitely understand where she's coming from. Is like, you never let me know you're okay. That is not a human thing to do. Like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, I think I liked they, it. Yeah, but I think the implication here goes beyond that though, because the yeah. way she says we were worried, Tal, I was worried. I think there's like a it's almost like the personal life is breaking through. Like yeah. th- like if she was just worried as an employer, she wouldn't have driven out here like this. This this was No, mm- but I definitely like though that she could shield it as that too. Oh yeah. Because but Al, like but you know. it doesn't matter though. The entire motivation to come out here was because there's personal feelings at play here. Um, and of course, Razor uh, Ramon here just sort of goes, "Hey, hey, hey, yo! That, hey, this, Chico. That, this this must be this Carol Ferris that we we yeah. always hear about because Hal never Which, shows up about her. Does she still have her sapphire ring? Because that, that, that they I, never mention Zamoran. I know? I do not know. I, maybe so, that'll come into play. I have no idea. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I do appreciate in the art here that this entire like." conversation takes place with stars mm-hmm. behind them because it's nighttime. Yep. Uh mm-hmm. nice visual. So because Razor says we have to go, uh Carol says you're leaving and clearly is concerned about it. Yep. And he's like, well and he's not actually agreed to go technically yet because they've just admitted that they can't leave. But he's like, well is there a reason I shouldn't go? Um mm-hmm. but he basically says, look, if you tell me to stay and she doesn't answer. She says, oh, I've got to go. Yeah. Like, she just, she nopes out of the question as yep. soon as she can. She gets out of the scene and she leaves. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. Hal knows she's engaged. It's a bit of a dick move to put that that burden on her. Mm-hmm. But... It's very Hal Jordan to do, though. Yeah, it's very Hal Jordan to do. But it, it's also... <sighs> You can't deny, and the, the writing and the art gets it across to us, but you mm-hmm. can't deny that in the moment... Like it feels right for him to say it. Like it feels, mm-hmm. it feels like he he thinks that she may actually care if he like the the mere fact that she's acting like annoyed or concerned that he's leaving mm-hmm. again suggests that she doesn't want him to. So therefore, he wants her to admit that, and she's you know she's oh I can't admit that and leaves. No. So I think they're playing with the the the, the emotions bubbling under the character's mm-hmm. uh, surface level here quite well. I also appreciate that, like, Razor's like, hey, why don't you tell her how you feel? And he's like, trust me, she knows. Like, this yeah. is, the ball's in her court. I, she I, knows. 
Yeah. I really appreciate, and th- th- not that this is really different from how Hal it usually is, but usually when Hal's being abrasive and the fact that he's mm-hmm. like, hey, I like you, and he's always trying to charm her and she's trying to like shoo him away, mm-hmm. I think there's an interesting spin on it here where he, like, he- he's never said that he's gotten over, he's never said that he doesn't want mm-hmm. to be with her or anything like that. She's just kind of supposedly have moved on to someone else but now is like kind of struggling clearly with the feelings that are still there. And, you know, it is, yeah, it is, is, it's very much her character story to either make a decision of where to go yeah, with that. It's very much a rom-com vibe too, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah. It's a bit so, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not like super serious. Like you can kind of just enjoy mm-hmm. it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Hal takes uh, Razor to Madame Xanadu uh, yeah. to try and get some help. And... They bring up that the the magic because Razor brings up something about magic, right? With with the rings, yeah. Um, and there's some underlying because of the way that Hal's ring is working isn't isn't consistent with Green Lantern rings, you know. Yeah, she also says that you, you, I can see the Green Guards a secret or something, and Hal's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, there was a place in Spain that I could feel something when I was fighting Sinestro, some sort mm-hmm. of. Like the power was surging, so there's something there, uh, mm-hmm. and this they realize this right before Rocksteady and a couple of other Green Lanterns from the United <laughs> Planets show up. Yeah, in their tunics. <laughs> yes, you know, definitely a downgrade in Green Lantern uniform. Yeah, but know? they're all wearing identical uniforms. You can tell this has been mm-hmm. sort of mandated. But the yeah. big thing here is that they're here to arrest Razor, and when Hal mm-hmm. sort of shows that he's got a ring, and they realize like, oh, you're an unlicensed Lantern as well, so we'll take mm-hmm. you both in, and the fight breaks out is that these lanterns can just change to a different spectrum. Like they, one, yep. one changes to yellow just by choice, and then the other one changes to blue. And it's like, wait, that's weird. It's also yeah. notable that, hey, all these power batteries that have been destroyed, it seems like these are the ones that they have access to. Yep. Which means with red, red's going to be up in there too. And the thing I know about Razor from from doing a little bit of research, he came from the, the animated series. Yes. Uh, and that he... he he was the one lantern that could do red, green, and blue. So, yeah. you know, so uh, there, there's so in there. And we saw blue now. We saw yellow. We know the Yzmalt one is down. Yeah. So. so, I mean, Hal says that's impossible. Obviously, mm-hmm. something's cooking here. We're building to something. So that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and Razor's like, you want a war? We'll give you a war. Mm-hmm. That was another Razor Ramon reference for anyone who didn't get it. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh the the lanterns blast off uh with razor uh they've got mm-hmm. him arrested and they're going to go take him back to the united planets and uh yeah so hal goes off in search of this mysterious place where the the green energy's surging in spain and that's just where the the main story ends with him going into this sort of cave uh mm-hmm. it says next the secret of the green although not the swamp thing green no. uh obviously well maybe as i don't know maybe for all we know, this is coming from that green. Who knows? Yeah. It's not coming from the so, power battery. What I do like, though, is it feels as this story made me realize the ring that the Hal's using right now very much feels like Alan Scott's ring and the star heart. You know what I mean? The fact that there's magic, kind of, because mm-hmm. up until the, the science fiction-y aspect of Green Lantern, it was always magic that uh, Alan Scott's worked. So I'm wondering if we're going to be getting the Starheart stuff here. Like, maybe that's what's calling out to him. And it, and it's trying to strive for balance. Uh, 
but yeah, it's uh, Kuhan, it, would could Alan Scott's ring not work outside of Earth? I I don't remember. I just know I had a weakness to wood, right? Um, hmm. so it, it's not quite the same. And we know that Hal forged this one, so it wouldn't quite be the same. But I don't know. I'm feeling okay. like this piece that's calling to him feels very much like the Star Heart. It could you know? be that. that. That would make sense. I think. Honestly, after those other books, you know, after Batman in Action this week, it was so mm-hmm. nice to read this because I felt engaged in the relationships of the characters, particularly Hal and Carol. Mm-hmm. Razor's an interesting new addition. I'm intrigued by the what's going on with the United Planets. They're still sort of teasing that out, but this new mm-hmm. development that their their lantern troops are switching spectrums at will. Yeah. Um, obviously, Hal being drawn to this cave, like it feels like this is like a a plot. It's go ongoing that I'm enjoying, and I'm I mm-hmm. want to know where it's going, and each chapter's been very entertaining. Plus, the art's pretty solid. It's, it's mm-hmm. maybe not quite as good as the the original artist, but Zermonico, yeah. yeah, and Zermonico will be back. But yeah, the whole thing's um, still doing a solid job, though, for sure. It's still pretty job. It just uh, for me, the the main problem is it, it's kind of like who's the who's the artist that we always bag on for having tall heads. Um. Oh, Oh God! Oh, but, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, but there's there's some of that in here, like with Madame Xanadu, and you know the proportions are a little bit off with some stuff, but it never really detracts too much. Um, and just the creativity here with like you know how how turning his his construct into a uh, fire hydrant at one point, you can just tell that the Holpen's having a lot of fun uh, with with the art. So sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just not Zermanico, which is is a hard. Which is a hard thing to criticize. It's a right? hard bar, yeah. It's a hard bar yeah. to to live up to. But I mean, it's it's he's doing his best job at mm-hmm. kind of like having similar art, like as yeah. as much as he can. So, uh, yeah, no, really solid chapter in this ongoing story. I'm I'm really digging it a lot. Um, really impressed. Jeremy Adams. I, I enjoyed his flash run, but honestly, mm-hmm. his Green Lantern stuff so far feels like he's leveled up to a different tier, yeah. which is really nice. It's always nice to see a, a writer do that. Uh, and then speaking of, uh, we have a backup by Ron Mars and Dale mm-hmm. Eaglesham on the art. Uh, this Holy is... 90s, Batman. Oh, for sure. Uh, this yeah. is a Kyle story. And mm-hmm. not only is it a Kyle story, at the end it promises Jessica Cruz next time. So hey, let's go. Uh, everything's coming up. Peel it, Peter, uh, on yeah. Green Lantern. Uh, so yeah, it's basically just uh, Kyle talking about how all things have went wrong, and it turns out he's talking to a construct of Alex, just so he can get his feelings out there. She was the girl that was fridged, correct? I believe so. Yes, so uh, she's the original. I I haven't read that run, so I like, yes. I don't know for sure, but I would suspect that she was the fridged. Okay. Yeah, the, the or the fridgy. Yes. Uh, which which makes this like if it, this is the most I like Kyle in a minute. Like I know I like to bag on you, but <laughs> I don't. I don't actually hate Kyle, right? It's just this you know pushback on the show. However, a lot of his stories as of late, there's you know when he does pop up, I haven't enjoyed them as much. So it helps that Ron Mars comes in and kind of restores a bit of the humanity to yeah. Kyle, you know? I think what was impressive to me, or not impressive, that's not a real word, surprising mm-hmm. to me, I guess, is mm-hmm. that I wasn't expecting a story that was set in current continuity. Yeah. But, you know, once you realize he's talking uh, in present day, you know, about the past, and he talks about, oh, something's weird with the United Planets, mm-hmm. and the end of the story is that Joe, Joe Mullen, shows up and finds mm-hmm. him and says, hey, we've been looking for you, Kyle, you've been kind of AWOL, and says hey we have to you know go in the you know something you need to see let's go so yeah like we don't get to hear what she wants to tell him she's mm-hmm. going to, she's going to explain it on the way 
but they fly off into space and it just says, you know, next time uh, some United Planet stuff and Jessica Cruz is back. So the yeah. fact that this is actually tying into the overall stuff is quite cool because it means that this backup feels like the third Green Lantern book right now, yeah. which is kind of nice. Uh, and I mm-hmm. like that it's focusing on, on Kyle and Joe and Jessica for now. Obviously, yeah. I know it's going to turn into Guy and Kilowog yeah. down the line, but... You know, it's a nice little showcase, you yeah. know, for, for all these other Avengers. But yeah, this story with him talking in the Green City, it looks like New York. He's reminiscing about moving to New York just as he had become Green Lantern. He was the last Green Lantern. It wouldn't surprise me if there was literally a story in the early part of the, the original yeah. run where he's fighting mm-hmm. this robot monster thing. Yeah. 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 So just all of that stuff. And, you know, again, it, it added the humanity back to Kyle that I feel we haven't been able to focus on because there's been so many other Green Lantern stuff going on, you know. And plus, uh, so it was nice to have also, him on the spotlight. For the last like decade, they've kept him in space, so yeah. all of those tethers to his actual ongoing yeah. story just kind of were left behind. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Kylo was someone that I knew mainly from Morrison's JLA run that I mm-hmm. I don't know if I read all of it, but I read a good chunk of that. That was where I initially kind of got to know Kyle. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. His his original run is always something that I do want to get around to. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of it breaks up into being the last Green Lantern, and then when he becomes Ion, when they were when they decided to bring Hal back around, you know, uh, you know, so those are the two eras of Kyle, and and this is leaning on the first part, which I I like because we don't. Oh yeah, because the anymore. Ion stuff is much much later. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the '90s stuff where he yeah. was he was the main Green Lantern for mm-hmm. you know years. Yeah, uh, he was the Green Lantern in that era. Yeah, mm-hmm. so cool. No, no, it was nice to see this. Uh, mm-hmm. It felt like an old school thing. Eagle Sham's a, a solid artist. Yep. Uh, uh, the crab mask is glorious. Still, still not a fan. That's glorious. Yep. Yeah, makes makes all these other Green Lantern outfits look incomplete. Mm-hmm. Disagree. <laughs> I do love his color scheme though. The the black with the white. Like I always love that. You know, like when they gave him the Ion costume, I was like, this is a downgrade. But, you know, his yeah. design, I always, I always enjoyed his suit. Yeah, I like that it's more of a, there's less green. It's not as over the mm-hmm. top with the green, whereas the rest of them are all like just bathed yeah. in green, whereas he's got mm-hmm. more, you know, more highlights of green as opposed to. Yeah, true. You know, so, you know, well, and I like when they have different. So like Guy, you know, you love or hate the vest. It's unique to Guy, you know, uh, just like this Kyle's design is unique to him. No one else has this. So, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. All right, what are you giving Green Lantern? Uh, I'm gonna give this an eight. Yeah, I, I think I'm happy to give it an eight. I think if you know we still had Zermanico, it would probably bump up a little bit. But yeah. I enjoyed the main story. I enjoyed the backup, uh, which is you know normally when I get to a backup, I'm like, oh, it's got a backup. But often it'll be a lesser thing. But it was actually a really nice, like, oh, this is actually tying into like, the overall mm-hmm. mythos of Green Lantern right now, which is all this United Planets drama. Yep. And it's, you know, the original Kyle Rayner writer going to town on him. So uh, I, I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, a 10 for me as well. All right. Next up, Blue Beetle issue six, mm-hmm. Josh Trujillo on the art. Oh, sorry, writing. And then on yeah. art is Adrian Gutierrez. So take it away, Matt. Yeah, so this is the final chapter of the first arc, which uh, boils down to Jaime versus the uh, uh, Blood Scarab. And the first page, or the first couple pages, is an origin for the Blood Scarab, and it turns out that he was a um, uh, an archaeology student uh, named Javier Balsuado, 
Uh, and him and his friends had spent years looking for the Lost Pyramid, where this blood scarab was, where Kaifre, who um, the blood, you know, the the pharaoh that became the blood scarab was. Uh, they get into this this lost pyramid, and the blood scarab ends up taking over him, and it feeds off of his life force. So essentially, whereas Kaji Da, which is uh, Jaime's blue beetle um, scarab, whereas it works with him, it seems like the blood scarab is almost like a prototype where it burns through people. So it seems like there's definitely a time like a time limit on you know, who can be the blood scarab. And so because Kajida was the one that had imprisoned the blood scarab and for all these years, um, it, it wants to take uh, revenge. So a lot of this issue is all of Jaime's friends that are there to support him, giving him enough time to charge his scarab back up to finally, you know, be at full power to take out the blood scarab. Uh, and the issue jumps around from, you know, Natita and Dynasties and Starfire. They all get their moment um, with, you know, the Blood Scarab eventually getting the upper hand. Um, and uh, the art is, you know, really helpful in this, in that Gutierrez, with the layouts, you never get lost in the chaos because it's all taking place in the soccer stadium. Uh, and Jaime's in a lot of the same spot. So you kind of get the different vantage points throughout uh, to be able to fly, uh, to be able to follow. Um, but of course, my highlight's going to be about Starfire because she she realizes that she's probably the most powerful and has the best odds, and that she just needs to keep him occupied. And so she gets a lot of good moments um, in this uh, to hold him, uh, and eventually knocks. Uh, Blood Scarab down enough for Jaime to engage Legato mode, which is like his super ultra. Um, and when he does this, uh, Kaji Da completely takes over. And Jaime is like, no, we, we can't. Like, there's a person in there. And Kaji Da is telling him that, well, no, this is, you know, this is beyond our capacity to handle. He needs to be taken out again. I've done this before. And this is what the Blood Scarab wants. So that operation knows, like, if uh, knows that it's going to push, that it's going to have to jump to somebody else. Um, and so Javier, the kid that's inside the the Blood Scarab, ends up getting control while Jaime is losing control. So this very nice <laughs> balance. Excuse me. Um, and uh, Javier ends up stopping the Blood Scarab just long enough for Kajida to get, you know, full control. And uh, he's basically calling to, like, just kill me. And Kajida does. Um, Jaime's trying to stop it, and it, it, the fight ends on it's just the Blood Scarab and Blue Beetle uh, on a white background with uh, Jaime putting his hand, he's not in control, basically up through the Blood Scarab with Kajida saying, you know, the objective's complete. Uh, Jaime is like apoplectic, um, and is very upset. Um, Starfire comes down and is trying to console Jaime, who is on the ground in the fetal position, you know, basically like, I didn't want to do this. I tried to stop it. Uh, and as Jaime's on the ground, he starts overloading. Um, and, uh, Kajida notices or mentions that there's a taking out interference, and then he disappears in a flash of light 
uh, basically, if it's tachyon, it's probably timey wimey stuff. Uh, and it ends with with the group of friends wondering where he went, uh, teasing the hunt for Ted Court is next. So I, I believe they're going to be jumping through time. I'm sure Booster will be showing up. We're going to get a Booster and Blue Gold Beetle if if I'm happy. But it was a very very great ending to a to a a book that has not that it's had up and down. It's just it's been pretty consistent, but kind of just middle across the board. It really um, the the divide between the Scarab and Jaime is something that I really like because they've been in such a lockstep for the last couple of years. So for him, for the 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 Scarab to completely override him and lose control, uh, for him to lose control of his own body, it was almost something out of a horror movie. You know, he could he could not stop what was needed to be done. And uh, and the issue before this, Victoria Cord was saying how. This is what they need to do. And Jaime was all pro it, uh, you know, for taking out the blood scarab. But when he's actually in the shoes, he, you know, he doesn't actually want to kill this guy. Because when the blood scarab takes the, the mask off, he sees it's a person just like him. You know, so Jaime's compassion comes through and he knows he can rely on this, you know, these supporting characters that have come through for him. So a uh, really good issue, really good art throughout. I mean, it's essentially a long action sequence. Um and again, Gutierrez handles all of the, um, like, again, it's, it's in this one location, but you're able to follow it through all these different characters uh, and go through the chaos. So, um, yeah, excited to see where this goes. We're going to get some timey-wimey, hopefully. And uh, I'll give it an 8.5. All right, cool. Outsiders, issue four, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with Robert Carey on the R. So this is a super interesting issue. I think this book has been very good about doing very distinct single issues where obviously you've got the running threads mm-hmm. of the characters that are involved, but I mean, we go through half this issue before we even see them uh, mm-hmm. or hear from them. Uh, it tells the story of this woman who was born um, at the stroke of the millennium, right? So you yeah. know, New Year's Day uh, 2000. Mm-hmm. which is actually kind of hurting me now that someone born in that day is now 24. Yep. <laughs> I'm yep. like, crap. <laughs> They're an <Yep>. adult. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's wild. They're finishing college. It's just, I don't like it. I don't, yeah. It's, I, 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 yeah, it sucks, man. I don't like it. So. Yes. Yes, it's upsetting. Anyway, so uh, basically tells a story of this me- specific meta power that this this woman has. This uh, is it Jenny was her name? Jenny, yep. Yeah, uh, who realizes as she's growing up that she has this meta ability um, and it's basically she gets very anxious, she gets very uh, nervous, her emotions get heightened and it really affects her. But as she's growing up, she notices that when she does get really happy, something good happens in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. The big example a few pages in is that when she goes to her first house party and she thinks she falls for someone, the next day the like stock market is like at an all-time high. Like Things are, are going well, mm-hmm. things are great, but then a week later she sees the boy kissing someone else and the day after that it, the entire market crashes. So mm-hmm. the idea is that these world events there's like earthquakes and riots when she's feeling bad, but when she's feeling good, mm. good things are happening, but it puts a lot of pressure on her. Uh, and it means that she has to be very, very scared of 
feeling anything because it could lead to a lot of bad things. So she yeah. kind of develops this life of being in solitude, of not interacting with anyone, and just kind of trying to just, you know, meditate and be, be yeah. away from people. <laughs> she, she becomes this wanderer that, that needs to keep a constant baseline because she can't get too excited or too sad or anxious. And it leads to this very lonely life. Yeah. Uh, and then she ends up, present day, uh, going to London and ends up falling for a girl at a party or at a concert or whatever. Uh, and they have a great time together. Uh, and again, the world benefits from this. Um, nothing wrong is going on. It's the, it's the best couple of days the world's ever had because she's completely in love. But then she gets to basically, you know, dumped or you know texted hey this was a one night stand it was fun but yeah that's us now and she breaks down and of course lots of bad things start happening uh and it's represented in the art with these like red like rage lines coming from her head so it's very visual yeah it also kind of it reminds me of the omega sanction with the way that the omega sanction from dark side is very red but there's also these hot whites that go through it as well you just get the the feeling that it's a lot of energy oh, for packed sure, into yeah. those, you know. So, so very very effective. So finally, it comes to our characters. We get you know mm -hmm. Luke, Kate, and Drummer. And Drummer's filling them in that this girl exists and that she's been in these different locations. I don't think the implication is that all of the text before was Drummer given this speech because there's there's stuff there she couldn't possibly know. No, it was coming from the authority book, yeah, right, or the planetary book, because all. A lot of those narrative narration boxes look like they're from yeah. pages. So. And they also keep going after this when it feels like mm -hmm. the speech has ended. So yep. you know, it's not just what she's saying to them, but they're yep. on the way to London and drummer's like, yeah, we have to take this girl down. She's too much of a threat. Mm -hmm. But what actually ends up happening after she runs away from the two back characters is that she runs into drummer. And there's a good sequence here. There's a, a whole chase through the subway in yep. London. And she loses Kate, where Kate is like, she can't lose me, I'm a, I'm a bat. Like, this yeah. is a thing. And it's a, very, it's a very pretty sequence. You know, I think the art mm -hmm. does a really good job of capturing kind of this, this tranquility of the tunnels and the eeriness of it. But she runs mm -hmm. into Drummer outside, and Drummer just actually tries talking to her and saying, hey, I know what your powers are. Uh, you're you're a, a century baby, right? And there's multiple century babies, and mm -hmm. you specifically um like affect the world and basically talks about how this is terrible and how it's you know like you have to control everything it says you, you get dealt a bad hand um but mm -hmm. whatever but you know says something like oh you were always my favorite and she's like huh <laughs> excuse yeah. me what do you mean i was always your favorite you know me and it's like no but i like kind of i knew your predecessor i knew other century babies um mm -hmm. so yeah, so basically tells about all this stuff, talks about uh, uh, the last one, Jenny Sparks. Uh, she was unstoppable. Uh, before her, there was Jenny Discovery. Before her, there was Jenny Crusade. Uh, there was a Jenny Quantum. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, so, it, it, it's, it's just, it's interesting because she's basically giving her advice and saying she has to let her control it. You're, you're not supposed to like just live through it. You're supposed to control it and use it for good. And, uh, you know, her powers kick in once again uh, and she does a whole big full page spread moment where she's like my name is Jenny Crisis you can F mm -hmm. off <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so basically 
you get to a point here halfway through this conversation where I was like, okay, this feels like we're recruiting her for the team as opposed to mm-hmm. anything else. And she actually says, I'm not joining your silly little team. <laughs> but yeah. uh, Luke Fox is like, hey, because by this point, how, him and Kate have shown up. And right. he's like, hey, okay, but how about we exchange some contact details just in case, you know, we can help each other in the future. So it definitely feels that we're setting up a character who's uh, who's going to pop back up again. Um, mm-hmm. And Drummer even says the line, she's not a threat, she's an outsider, uh, which is it, very interesting. It's a, it's a really interesting mm-hmm. character dynamic. Um, you did a little bit of research. Yeah. Are all these previous versions that are mentioned yeah, in the so other books? Some, something that I believe was Warren Ellis in the first Authority series uh, introduced is the concept of century babies where every century there'd be one baby born that kind of takes on the personality of what that century would be. So that's where they hmm. talk about Jenny Discovery, right? So in the authority, it was Jenny Sparks, who was a um, who was meant to represent the 20th century. And, and Jenny Sparks gave way to Jenny Quantum, uh, who's the new century baby that's born around um, seemingly at the same time or around the same time as Jenny Crisis. And, um, or, or maybe because of the quantum name, I, I couldn't get a full... Just, you know, in my cursory thing when that happened. But I do know the two that are mentioned there. Sparks and Quantum were both part of the Authority teams at different times. Um, but these these Century Babies end up having a lot to do with the course of history and how they, you know, um, how they change things. But, you know, like Jenny Sparks, from my research, had a hand in a lot of big events that happened so they essentially get to this age around 24 25 and then stop aging right so they always look like a younger oh, person okay. so that's how they last all century then <laughs> yep right so um and jenny sparks was this you know kind of firebrand type character that had a lot to do with these big world events of the 20th century um and so here what i like that uh, kelly and lansing did is they introduced this 21st century right century baby and this millennium baby to almost like it's almost like being born at the start of the millennium is almost like supercharging her right and because the this you know first 24 years of this century have been so tumultuous right like she is born on y2k as that stuff is happening um it's really tied to her mental state in just the name jenny crisis it's been one crisis after another you know which is also to live through it's also very dc as well um, well, that's that's true too, and the red energy, like, don't yeah. get lost in that. I I, I so. also think there's something to be said here about the current century baby having to live this solitude life because they might like cause too much damage. How mm-hmm. that kind of relates to the pandemic a little bit, mm-hmm. like you know, it's a little little COVIDy uh, yeah. in a sense. Well, well, there's that, and there's this whole sense of anxiety that our generation, right? Like we're a little bit older than what this girl's supposed to be, but she's very very much representative, and I believe. Kelly and Lansing are both around our age, right? Is that we've had to go through one thing after another and we just have to keep a stiff upper lip. And that's what she's had to do, right? It's it's one thing after another. And the only way to, you know, get through it is to re- kind of remove yourself from it and not be a part of it. Uh, and I like that drummer, you know, tells her, well, you don't have to do that. You just got to learn how to control it, you know? And, you know, that's, not just because an outsider, that's someone from the outside, you know, trying to comment on it. Like, well, yeah, you can't just step outside. You can't just control it. You know, there's more to this. Um, 
And so, yeah, there's just a lot of good social commentary through this issue. Um, and just from what I know, too, from from the coworker that we talked this week about planetary, the century babies have a lot to do in in planetary as well. So this almost being a tie to, you know, Wildstorm in and of itself and using that to comment on not only superheroes, but social commentary of the now it is very much what that book was about. So having drummer in here as that tie to kind of bring it from the late nineties to now is, is super smart. Yeah. But also it's worth mentioning that this was a very easy to read. Yes. You know, full story from beginning to end. It never felt like it penalized anyone for not no. having knowledge of no. multiple and, previous comic book runs. And in, and in fact, going through the wiki articles and all these different articles, on you know that i had googled they do a better almost a better job of summing up the century baby concept in this issue than you know these other you know articles in uh encyclopedia entries do so you know kudos to them and just the art throughout this issue as well it is a it is a, a lady running through you know essentially running from her problems right but it there's a sense of tension throughout it right like when she is running from Batwing and, and Batwoman, you know, there is a sense of urgency there that they need to get to her. Yeah, um, yeah they are so. very good. Like, all the stuff with her sitting in the rain with Drummer, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big full-page spread of her looks very good, very detailed, a lot of emotion and expression on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even something as simple as the the top half of the page where Batman, or sorry, not Batman, Bat, uh, Batwing and mm-hmm. Batwoman are walking towards her, she's petting the cat. Yeah. And it's just, it's got the right amount of street light and the, the coloring and the moodiness of it mm-hmm. to give it a real sense of atmosphere. And it's kind of emphasized when you go into the close up panel of Luke and he's got the sort of the harsh, bright light of the street light behind him, which is, you know, it kind of, kind of emphasizes yeah. like the location and the scene based on the previous panel. So it, everything's got a good sense of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think overall i think this was just a really solid story that introduced me to a concept that i wasn't familiar with yeah. and i think like i say it works very well for someone who has no knowledge of planetary or authority i mm-hmm. think it's working completely on its own as a weird tales of like different just oddball things that are going on that feel you know slightly connected and the drummer's mm-hmm. got this book that's kind of like telling her about a lot of these things yeah. Um, but it is it, obviously those little teases and like references and hints to things for people who do know those books, but is very much working and introducing all of its concepts at a very nice pace for someone new. And if it does mm. become more connected to those prior runs sometime down the line, by that point, I'll be too invested for it to, to take me out of it. You know, it'll be sort yeah. of like, okay, now I'm in, I'm too intrigued by everything they've set up in this book so far. So but, you know, yeah. for what she's in, I think this is one of the more interesting and honestly kind of nice surprises that DC have had in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't expecting to be enjoying it as much as I am. Especially yeah. since, you know, uh, Lansing and Kelly, like, they tend to be these fill-in writers that I don't really think mm-hmm. much of. I remember them doing some fill-ins in Green Arrow that I thought were just mediocre. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see them flourishing like this. You, you can tell they really care about that era of comics. To, to transpose that stuff and put it into here and to summarize it in a way to get other people to enjoy it almost as much as they do. Cause like now I'm invested in Jenny crisis, right? Like just her whole vibe is something I relate to, you know, of, of being, being someone with anxiety myself and having to learn how to control that. And you like, yes, you're supposed to feel your feelings, but you can't run from them. 
but you also have to know you can't fully control them and you have to feel them and be in the moment. Yeah, you know? it's doing that storytelling thing that you can do with fiction is you take yeah. the literal and you multiply mm-hmm. it because it's a fictional story. So you take what regular anxiety is and you literally have it affect everything in the world to make right. it feel like you can't feel it. Uh, mm-hmm. Because when you feel like you're having anxiety, it feels like it's the end of the world. It feels like yeah. you have no control and it feels like mm-hmm. everything's falling apart. So right. it's just making that more literal by having her feelings actually affect the, the world at large. So it's an interesting concept yeah. for that reason. Right. So, and so, you know, again, kudos to them. And, and you know, it makes me want to go back and check out Planetary. Like I said at the beginning of our show, like way, way mm-hmm. back, you know, I want to go and check this out now because I need to like, if, if the planetary book itself was doing these kind of themes with superheroes and myths and legends that this book is done kind of through four issues that that's right up my alley. Cause I am really enjoying this for, especially for something that we thought was going to be like Batman and the outsiders adjacent, right? Like we didn't realize drummer was going to be a third character in this when it was announced um, for it to turn into this thing that can kind of comment on society and comics as a whole. Um, I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah. All right. What are you giving Outsiders issue four? I'm giving this eight point five. Hmm. Uh. You know what? I'm I'm tempted to agree with that actually. Ooh. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. I think it was good. Really good. So. Uh. All right. Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, issue Ooh. five. Robert Vendetti writing with Riley Rosmo on art. Uh. This was you that read this still. So yes. go for it. So this is the penultimate issue and it moves the pieces into, you know, where, where we're going to leave Wesley Dodds at the end of this. Um, And in the last issue, he had the, the, you know, the evil version of Sandman. He had had gotten into a fight in this penthouse um, where, you know, his dad's friend Vanderlyle is kind of his mentor was, and he knocked him out of the window. uh, And this guy ended up breaking his fall on a car and, and he's dead. So it picks up with the police covering up this body, basically saying there's nothing to see here. Um, and them them talking, the police talking to Dodds about what was happening. Uh, and he tells them that it's a, a, a private matter. Um, and he has, you know, um, his girlfriend is the district attorney's daughter. And then, you know, talk to her. She was here too. Uh, and it leads him going to Fort Hamilton, which is on Brooklyn. Uh, to go talk to the, like, commander in charge that is the one that's responsible for his tech getting into the wrong hands. Um, so he ends up sneaking on and he's hitting people with a gas, but because he's been the victim of the gas uh, before, he's a little bit more judicious now because he knows what it's like and he doesn't want to put people through it, um, um, you know, unless they have it coming. So uh, he ends up sneaking in. Um, and gassing all of these, uh, uh, all of these soldiers, except he's not hitting them with the full dose. Like it's been, cause again, he knows what it feels like. Uh, but it's, he also needs to do this cause he starts seeing visions of what the gases that don't knock people out, you know, the bad stuff that was in his journal, what they would do to, to people in war. Um, so there, he comes across this one guy who kind of looks like Jerry from Parks and Rec. You know, he's this kind of older, overweight guy. Uh, and he sees the Sandman and he freezes. And Wesley has a, the, the gas gun pointed at him. And the guy has his eyes closed tight. Uh, and this is probably the best Rosmo art I've seen in a while. 
because uh, just the way that it flows. Um, but but Wesley hesitates, and the guy opens his one eye, and Wesley puts his gun down, and he runs and and hits the uh, the alarm, which sends all of these other uh, soldiers in who start putting on gas masks, right? Because they're they're aware of what he does. Uh, this goes into a action sequence where Wesley's breaking through and, um, and great. I feel so weird to praise Rosmo's art here, but uh, I feel like this pulpy kind of stuff is what he's meant to draw. Um, because the, it looks like a load of chaos with these panels at odd angles, but you can follow the action on the page really well that, uh, Wesley starts going through and, uh, taking their masks off and, hitting him with all the gas. Uh, so uh, the guy that he's there after, Colonel Breckenridge, is trying to make an escape, but he has his gun drawn. Um, he only has one arm, so he's at a disadvantage, of course. And Wesley comes in and basically tells him, I know what you were doing. He gets him out of that room um, and uh, takes him to like an abandoned building. And there's a lot of Batman imagery in this. Um, there's these bats all over this warehouse, just kind of hanging out, um, which I find is weird because we're, we're, you know, decades away from Batman or kind of even the Waynes. Um, but the, the Colonel tells him that, you know, you, you don't want to know why I did all of this. And essentially it says that like the next war that's coming, you know, the war that's being fought right now in, in Europe, we're going to need to be able to do these things and that. Uh, and it gets really dark here that there's no such thing as a war crime for a winner, right? Because uh, who decides what a war crime is? It's politicians and diplomat. Victory is unimpeachable. War crimes are for the defeated. And Wes is like, well, I got to find this journal. This cannot end up in the bad hands, in the wrong hands, because this man's a maniac. Um, and he talks about how he was able to get this, the, the guy that, uh, you know, whose body they found, Igor Klug. Uh, he was a soldier, but he got uh, thrown out of the military for thievery. And so he knew that he was going to be the perfect patsy. Um, and so it just shows that this colonel feels that these lives are all expendable, which for a pacifist like Wesley is what drives his belief system. Um, and so he's just letting the colonel talk and he goes um, – he goes behind him and he's like, look, you can call the police, but I'm a decorated soldier. Nothing's going to, you know, get me in trouble. Um, and he goes, you know, you can, they're not going to believe a word that you say. And he goes, well, they don't, they're not going to listen to me, Colonel. They're going to listen to you. And see that Wesley had planted a primitive recording device that's recording things to a vinyl of the last, you know, five minutes of the Colonel talking, basically describing his crimes he essentially got monologued, you know, in the, the classic fashion. Um, and, and he leaves that for the police to find. Um, and then Wesley decides, or Wesley realizes who has the journal because the colonel has told him that he left it with Vanderlyle. And the, the butler, uh, I think it's Higgins, is there trying to clean up Vanderlyle's uh, house from you know, the fight that had happened there. And uh, as he's looking under, you know, for all these broken glass or whatever, he looks under a chair and finds Wesley's journal. And he gets hit with a candlestick 
Oh, and his name is Humphreys, not Higgins. Um, and that essentially it's Vander Lyle that's been behind this uh, the entire time. So uh, it leads right into the final chapter. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Wesley and, and him will have at odds. And it'll end with, you know, Sandman being the, the guy that we know, you know, because it's almost not necessarily his origin, but an early story of of kind of how Wesley Dodds became the Sandman. Um, Rosmo Art, really good. Like, I'm surprised because we, we bag on him so often. But I feel like this and the Shadow Book are two of the best, you know, for him. So, um, story kind of kind of can pick where it's going, but that's Venditti. He kind of knows how to tell these pulpy stories. Uh, so I will give this a 7.5. Okay. I'll take us on to the final book of the week, which is mm-hmm. Batman City of Madness, book three. Christian Ward writing an art on this. This is the, the Bat Cthulhu uh, issue two ended effectively with mm-hmm. the Bat Cthulhu taking the kid who he wants to be his Robin into the Undergotham and Batman following in with a Talon to try and get him back. Uh which sets up what this final issue does which definitely goes places by the end which mm-hmm. uh, that, i, I it's, it's funny in a week where we've got joker year one playing out in in batman it's interesting a wild thing that this tacks on to its ending which shockingly and maybe it's because it's like an elseworld yeah i don't hate it i don't either because of what it represents what this gotham underneath ends up representing makes a lot of sense for the way Gotham is the way that it is, right? So, well, yeah, I mean, but the, the thing we're talking about here is that we find out that this Bat-Thulu character, the man underneath the, the Cthulhu, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you will, uh, is this guy named Arthur Arkham, right? Mm-hmm. And we get some seeds early on, and at the start, I didn't realize this was, like, real Gotham. I thought this was mm-hmm. still in the under-Gotham. Yep. But under Gotham was sort of created to house this guy because yep. he was the son of Amadeus Arkham and the serial killer who was coming to Arkham killed his mother and sisters uh, to basically get back at Amadeus Arkham and mm-hmm. he grew up uh, just sort of like completely you know messed up by this experience by losing his family very Bruce Wayne right very very much in that very. kind of vein mm-hmm. and Ultimately, the entity that built the Undergotham kind of latched onto him and fed off of his grief and his pain and effectively built a Gotham for him to exist down here as the Batman of this Gotham. And it's the idea that Batman or a version of Batman is so full of grief because grief drives everything that he is that this is a Batman that he can just feed off forever. So it's feeding this cosmic style this cthulhu-esque entity uh which has obviously lent him some tentacles for his yeah. costume it's it's very trauma based right it's all the trauma through, yeah yeah so he he went through this entire thing and his dad tried to help him because his dad runs arkham asylum right he he created it but nothing's working and he basically starts trying to use the you know says i've tried everything every method what else do i do and it's almost like it was the trauma was driven more by the hopelessness of his father and that's what created the gotham underneath you know for him to act out these things he didn't have alfred 
right is, is is kind of fundamentally what it gets to he had this other type of of character and even just this opening scene where it's this uh well the opening scene is actually like a caveman thing but the yeah. a- after that when it's the the like amadeus talking to this this serial killer patient who's coming and there's this little moment where the killer is looking at a photo of his family and licking his lips mm-hmm. and it's like really disgusting you can tell yeah. exactly what he's thinking well, and he's surrounded in that page where you're introduced to that serial killer. He's surrounded by that type of that mass that we're introduced to that takes a bat form the to red. the caveman. It's like the red mist. Yeah. 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 And it's, again, it's very from what I associate with Lovecraft, right? This cosmic horror, this unknowable thing that, that, you know, that roots itself in a person. Yeah. Uh, so the, the main gist of this is that uh, basically He's been down here for a while. This 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 Gotham was built to mimic uh, Gotham above, and he became the Batman down here to mimic the real Batman up top. And this entity effectively is like a big heart at the heart of this city. Batman comments on how he can sort of feel like a pulse or a heartbeat mm-hmm. coming through the the streets. It's like it's all connected. Uh, there's a whole sequence here as well where he fights a giant alligator or crocodile, I guess, yeah. which is meant to be this ver- this world's version of Killer Croc. And mm-hmm. I kind of dug that as both as a fan of monster movies, but also yeah. the fact that there's a giant alligator in Resident Evil Two. It was just yeah. it was just fun to see Batman tackle this. And the fact when it starts talking to you is like, oh, this is just this version because there's the hints that it's the kid, right? Where it says that this Gotham, it was like it was almost like it was drawn by a kid right like nothing really makes sense it's not an exact copy it's close yeah. enough and, and croc- so you're just like oh the croc is just a kid's version of it and then it starts talking right and he gets up and has two stomachs um yeah although it's got, well, it's got a mouth in its stomach you mean to say yeah uh, that's what i meant to say it's got uh, two mouths one yeah. in his stomach yeah. um and, but then it starts talking to batman is like where's your sushi face because I fancied some sushi, I guess you'll do. <laughs> you know, and it's... It, I was like, okay, we're going to get some levity in this. Yeah, I, you I, know? I almost want to just skirt past this. The other big thing is that Batman mm-hmm. meets this world's Two-Face, which is the Two-Face yeah. that, of course, was communicating with Harvey Dent with up top. And, and that was yeah. a really cool sort of like tease for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find out that every, all the villains here, like no one else here is real. They were all just created by this entity to be some mm-hmm. kind of copy of what's up above. The person inside Bat-Thulu is the only real person down here. And the reason why he's brought this Robin down, whose, whose father was killed, was because this entity wants some fresh trauma. It wants someone to feed mm-hmm. off that's got a fresher, uh, you know, dark past to sort of live mm-hmm. off. Uh, so there's some great art here where you kind of see this almost like Bat Cthulhu thing behind Bat... Like, so Bat Cthulhu is like a Batman with Cthulhu yeah. tentacles, and we've been mm-hmm. calling them Bat Cthulhu through the whole thing. Yes. But then they've got this almost... I'm going to call him Bat Barbatos Cthulhu. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which is the sort of more actual cosmic entity that's more Bat-shaped, but red and all that. Mm-hmm. So there's like panels where he's kind of behind Bat Cthulhu. It's like, it's like a sort of like double layer of like It's, uh, it's a rushing nesting doll of trauma. Yes. That's a good yes. way of putting it. Yeah. Because you've got yeah. Robin, you've got Bat Flu with his hands on his shoulders behind mm-hmm. him. And then you've got it, the big cosmic Bat Flu behind yeah. him. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to get into the actual cosmic horror because like we've been talking about the Barbados thing in Detective Comics with Ram V, right? And, and the way that that's handled is completely different from this or this feels very much like Lovecraft. You know, this is very yeah. much madness personified. Um, this it, this yeah. is very much its own take on it. This is its own yeah. thing. And you know, I, I, um, but anyway, like I, I keep 
almost try to say what happens at the end because it's really interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to sum up other things here, uh, obviously Batman does, like the kid doesn't choose to kill the copy of the, the guy that murdered his dad. Mm-hmm. Instead, he does go with Batman back up to the real world. There's a whole thing here because Talon starts fighting against Batman, but then this world's Harvey then ends up helping by jumping in. It's a whole thing. Uh, and Batman hugs the kid. He even takes off his cowl and shows that he's Bruce Wayne to try and help him and sort of gain his trust. But uh, yeah, Talon's planted a bomb down here, which is going to detonate the whole thing. So mm-hmm. Batman and the kid just have to run out and escape uh, at the last possible second. There's a big, great two-page spread with this explosion in the background as they're leaving in some sort of demented version of the Batwing. It's all very nice. What we're getting to, though, the thing, the main thing I want to talk about, and it's so interesting that I kind of like this, despite everything I said about Joker Year One, mm-hmm. is that this actually does kind of give us an interesting possible origin for the Joker, is that at the end, it talks about how... So Arthur Arkham, this kid, right, probably when he was a bit older, mm-hmm. was taken in by this Bat-Thulu and brought down here to become the Bat-Thulu character. Right. It mentions, though, that his physical body didn't come down here. Uh, it was kind of, like, swapped, effectively, with, mm-hmm. like, a copy. They, they put a copy of him back up into Gotham to sort of exist. And, like, it straight up says, like, it's, you know, I wonder whatever happened to that copy. And as we're mm-hmm. hearing that, we start seeing, like, the Joker putting on his, like, his uh, makeup and putting his hat on, mm-hmm. and it's basically this idea that the Joker, in this Elseworld at the very least, mm-hmm. is this empty shell that was created by a, like a Cthulhu-style cosmic horror mm-hmm. to basically just be like an empty shell to represent the, the kid that's been taken down there to feed on the grief, which mm-hmm. is very interesting when you think of how the Joker is the, the opposite of Batman, is the, right. Yeah, I don't know. There's actually a very interesting thematic way of looking at this choice. Yes, and it and it does the whole duality thing of the yin and the yang, right? That Batman's a little bit crazy, right? To dress up as a bat and go fight crime, right? But then Joker's almost the opposite of that, where he's almost pure madness that's dressed as a human, you know? And and it it's almost like a yin and the yang is they have a little bit of each other in them, right? Uh, and so yeah i just i think i mean you've also got batman like hugging alfred during this part Mm -hmm. that's the last page uh so again it's reaffirming how important alfred is to like the Mm -hmm. development of who bruce is but i I think it's the reason why i think i like this is because it still comes from this place of mystery and Mm -hmm. while it is maybe more of definitive origin for who the joker is and kind of says he's this guy named arthur Arkham, he's not really. He's actually mm-hmm. more of just an entity that was there to replace mm-hmm. him. So it kind of still fulfills this idea of him being this just like he's not a person really. He's mm-hmm. more of a like you say, a force of nature. He yeah. is just this idea personified. Mm-hmm. So I would never really want incontinuity Joker to be explained like this. As an Elseworld, I think this is a really fun thought exercise as to what yeah. the Joker is. Well, and it just feels that whole idea of when you get to that whole cosmic horror of it all, like Joker is still unknowable, right? It is that, it is that mystery of him that makes him so interesting. Well, I mean, I mean, what, what do we always say about what, what does, what makes a Lovecraftian cosmic horror mm-hmm. is that I think one of the ways I've heard it defined is that 
and why like characters go mad when they start like mm-hmm. getting messages from Cthulhu and stuff mm-hmm. is because we simply just cannot comprehend mm-hmm. what these things are. They're beyond comprehension. So the idea yeah. that the Joker comes from something that we can't that, comprehend still uh-huh. does kind of work in a weird way. It does, and that's and that also is is talks about grief and trauma and all of that type of stuff too. Because you can try, right? Everyone handles that stuff different. And so despite the fact that there's therapists and psychologists and all that, they can help you get through it. It all comes from a place where it's kind of incomprehensible. You know, it's, it's probably also, I think in terms of the story and not being mad about it, I think it also comes Mm -hmm. from the fact that it is just a little, it's a little epilogue. It's a little nice thing tacked onto the end that just gives a bit of like, Hey, what if idea to the story Mm -hmm. that we just told that had nothing to do with Joker. Like, this was yeah. not a Joker story at all. Mm-mm. It's just this idea that the upside-down Batman, if you want, you know, to use the Stranger Things term, yeah, is that the upside-down Batman in some ways is the Joker in a, in a thematic sense. Well, well, there's that too, and the tie to that too is, like, the their version of Two-Face was able to communicate with our version of Two-Face because of the idea that Harvey's gone mad. Right? Yeah. So it's been crawling up to Gotham in little tiny ways this whole time but is that also why there's no upside down version of joker is because literally the guy that's inside He's, the bat costume is it, technically their joker right, right. so that's yeah. very interesting yeah so because you know you, you see a few of the other villains at arkham you see like mm-hmm. like ivy looks like she's dead it looks like yeah. there's a, a scarecrow sitting in a cell mm-hmm. uh, you get a sense that there's a lot of these other villains obviously we see croc and what demented version of him yeah and it never occurred to me as i was reading like, oh, are we going to see this world's version of Joker? We never do, and mm-hmm. the reason for it is probably because Joker is what's created uh, when you take this person with trauma away and replace it with the empty shell. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's just yeah. a, it's very interesting as a thought piece. Again, I wouldn't necessarily want this to be the incontinuity, just like straight up, here's the explanation for where joker came from no. but this is such an out there idea versus just oh he's someone who has a dark past or someone yeah. who it, you know yeah and, it, and it, it is that opposite again i keep saying that but like for where bruce is born from it very much real right from the grief of his parents jokers is it could literally be anything right it's batman's origin is clearly defined in, in all that whereas jokers doesn't have to be Right. It can be this mystery, even even in this. Right. Where they're not quite sure that he is the shell of of uh, Arthur Arkham, you know, uh, and I just like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting. It's a very big swing it takes at the end, but I surprisingly didn't hate it. I kind of mm-hmm. liked it even. Uh, so at least in an Elseworld, I thought it was a really interesting yeah. thing and didn't just feel like there were. I don't know, because like, they could have marketed this. They could have said, "Oh, a hot, you know, new take on Joker's mm-hmm. like backstory or whatever," and they never did. And it could, and, and the thing is, is that while it's only a couple of pages at the end, there's so because they've given us so much story about Arthur Arthur Arkham and who he is and why he went, why he was sort of taken down to this place, why this entity built this fake Gotham around him. Um, even the fake court of owls is like you know mentioned in the story kind of like got mm-hmm. wanted to control more so they actually right. escaped into the real gotham and yep. all the rest of it like there's so much behind all this that 
all of the information is already there for us to get excited and think about what this means that this mm -hmm. fake copy that was left instead is is there i mean yeah don't get me wrong it does kind of break the rule that i almost wished was is never broken which is we do technically have a name for who joker is it's just that in this case that person isn't really him anymore you know because no. he got swapped well, but and just also i know that arkham was a name that came arkham asylum came from lovecraft it did yeah yeah uh, so it's it's very funny that arthur arkham ends up being this you know if that is who the joker is it's very funny isn't isn't the name Arthur actually a social... Yeah, the, the, the new movie. It was Arthur in that, right? That Holy was his name. crap, he was. He was... Yeah. I, I forget his full name. It wasn't Arkham, but it no, was Arthur it was, something. No, it was Arthur Fleck, because there was just yeah. Affleck jokes. Yeah. Oh, man. Good good pull on that one. You remember that, where I tried to forget that movie as I, much as I can. I, I didn't until that moment. Yeah. It just popped out yeah. in my head. I was like, wait, isn't Arthur also related to Joker yeah. as well? Um, yeah. It is for that movie, at least. I don't know if it came yeah. from anywhere before that. Yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, just man, Christian Ward executing this on a on a high level because I was like, how are they going to wrap these threads up? And then once it started getting into the Talon fight, and I was like, okay, this is kind of typical. But then once we got to the whole idea of trauma and grief, and that driving Arthur, and then becoming the Batman of that world, you know, because of all of this, but he didn't have an Alfred, he didn't have that guiding force. It was just the trauma in full control, you know, and. And how does it, you know, how does it keep going is, well, you just traumatize somebody else. So it's also this thing about generational trauma being passed down as well. And it's just like, I wasn't expecting that in a Bat Cthulhu book, right? Like, uh, so yeah, man, words, words, really handling. I look forward to see what he's working on next. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, I, I got super interested in this by the end of the first issue, and I feel like the ending mm -hmm. here kind of hit me with something that I can never have seen coming. And yeah. I think it's because it it was just not predictable, because it was it didn't introduce the idea of this character until the third issue, so we couldn't have predicted it anyway. But right. Right. I, I think this is such an interesting swing, and it's a big swing, but it's so out of like a, out of left field, to use a term, that... It doesn't feel like it betrays what the book already set up, but it does sort of like immediately make you think about the larger implications of what it just kind of throws out here at the end. And like I say, as an Elseworld, as a thought exercise of like, hey, what if Joker is just like a body that came from Cthulhu? <laughs> that yeah. He is just this empty vessel of, of chaos kind of thing. And maybe the reason why he's so obsessed with Batman in some capacity mm -hmm. is that because he's a, a copy, a copy or a duplicate mm -hmm. without the soul of someone who had a similar tragedy yeah. or something. I don't know. There's some, there's something in there that is quite interesting. As much as I hate when writers try and connect them thematically beyond just like what they mean to each other in the mm -hmm. present sense, this at least is was a cool reveal and yeah. like I don't need it to ever come back. That said though, if he says, hey, they've let me do a sequel and I'm going to explore like more of this, then I wouldn't be against yeah. it either. I'd be curious to see what he has. But Like, like the madness comes to Gotham. Yeah. Type uh, thing. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. I, you know what? Like I think on paper, if you told me this before I read it, I'd have said that sounds shit. Having mm -hmm. actually read it, the execution does actually go a long way <laughs> to make me yeah. go, you know what? I'm actually kind of into this. Uh, yeah. So you know, something like that definitely made me want to go recheck out the the John Carpenter movie, Prince of Evil, Prince of Darkness, uh, again because hmm. there's some similar themes about you know madness and trauma and 
that, that happened in that movie as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but yeah, no, this is very, very, very well done. Yeah, and obviously, I don't know if we've emphasized the art enough uh, mm-hmm. at this point, but some of it is just absolutely stunning. Yeah. Uh, you've got all this, I mean, most of the, the issue takes place in the uh, under Gotham and just the various <laughs> versions of, of like the, the evil spreading and the heartbeat. You know, we see it, it looks mm-hmm. like a giant heart at one point when you see this Bat-Thulu entity, uh, whatever yeah. it is. And then, as I said, that early stuff where it's the, the, the real world of the history of, of Arthur Arcane, uh, or Arkham, Arkham's not Arcane. Mm-hmm. Arthur I was going to say, it was Arthur, Ar- Arthur Arcane, man. Sorry, it's the word Arca- Arcane. Arcane's like dark magic. It, it yeah. kind of fits. It, it does fit. Like, I'm just saying, like, yeah. who was this character I missed? But I, I just got to say, yeah, it was this in the Aquaman book. Ward's coloring, he just has a, a, a touch that I haven't seen in very other, uh, in very many other artists, mm. just like all of the pinks and greens and like colors that I don't normally associate with each other. He makes them all work in the under Gotham. Yeah. I think, know? yeah, the only way I can describe this ending working for me is that it's so, it's just so, not an idea I could have ever predicted to try mm-hmm. and do that. It just hit the right note of surprise yeah plus like interest uh whereas almost anything else you could do to try and explain who joker is will just make me roll my eyes this this was mm-hmm. at least like oh well this is definitely an idea like, like right. you've definitely put well, some thought into like, this like you <laughs> said it was it's an epilogue it's not the main point yeah so that that goes a long way too that he's like hey what about this you know as, as a time to make you think uh but yeah yeah okay cool all right, what were you rating uh, City of Madness issue three? I'm gonna give this a nine. I gotta agree with that. It's super mm-hmm. interesting. It was, a, I mean, for a double sized issue, you know, fifty yeah. pages or whatever it is, it was a very quick, easy read as well. Yeah, uh, for sure, super cool. So there you go, and that'll take us out the part of the show. We pick our favorite stuff of the week for it: panel slash moment, favorite cover, favorite art, and uh, top five books, of course. Matt, what was your panel slash moment of the week? All right, so th- there was one from Action Comics, and it was the the tired Superman. I, I wanted to point that out. I thought mm. that was really good. Um, also uh, in Blue Beetle, the where where the Blue Beetle ends up killing the Blood Scarab. I thought that was a big like holy shit moment. However, it reminds me from Outsiders, and it's going to be when Jenny Crisis names herself that. It's this okay. big splash page. The energy's coming off of her, and it was where you know it really clicked into me that she's the. The next piece in this going forward. Yeah, uh, I think I got to go with the uh, the the sort of reveal slash suggestion at the end of City of mm-hmm. Madness. It was just such a bold take, and it did take me a second where I'm like, "Wait, do I like that they're doing this? I don't know if I do." And yeah. then kind of like, "No, I actually do think I kind of like it." Weirdly, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to. So yeah. uh, it's just a. Uh, if nothing else, the way you tell a story, the execution, and the way you build mm-hmm. to something, and how you present that information is such a deal breaker, and how some ideas will come across, and this is a perfect example of it, because holy crap, uh, yeah. there's so many versions of this that I would have absolutely hated, and it just works, so I'll go with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Cover of the week, um, I will mention the main cover for City of Madness is gorgeous, uh, yes. it's just, just Bat-Thulu with the tentacles and all of its glory, but I gotta go 
with someone who has consistently been one of my favorite cover artists recently, and that is Steve Beach on Green Lantern. Mm. Uh, that main cover is just beautiful. It's Hal, you got Kilowog and Kyle, and just good stuff. Um, there's an argument to be said that he often makes his his characters look uh, like angry or like overly emphasizing the emotions, but I don't know. I'm into it. I'm just so into it. <laughs> so so Hal definitely has a stink face. Oh yeah, on this cover, and it cracks me up. So yeah. yeah. Whereas Kyle looks so happy to be wearing the crab yes. mask. Yes. Well, someone has to be. <laughs> I'm delayed. He's wearing the crab yeah. mask. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, what's your cover of the week? So there are a couple that I want to mention. There is a uh, Sandman cover by Albuquerque that's just completely moody. Uh, it's got him up in this like alleyway with a red background with the smoke coming around him. That looks real, real nice. Um, there is a action cover by Federici that's got Bizarro looking like uh, looking very scary, almost Frankenstein's monster esque. Um, uh, but mine's going to be from Green Lantern as well. And it is the incentive cover by Al Barrio Nuevo. And it, it's very silly. It's it's Hal throwing a pitch to an alien. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just, it's very silver agey. And it made me chuckle. So uh, that's mine. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, best art of the week. Uh, it's hard to go against Christian Ward. Like, there was some good art through this week. I think. Um, the the outsiders uh i'm drawing a blank on his name right now i think it's rob carey mm-hmm. that one's close but i think uh the city of madness takes it yeah carey may have been the pick had <laughs> had mm-hmm. Ward not been there with city of madness this week so maybe mm-hmm. next month he's got a good chance because yeah. uh city of madness won't be there anymore yeah. uh but yeah ward takes it for me as well all right top five matt go all right uh city of madness one um Outsiders 2, uh, Blue Beetle 3, Green Lantern 4, and I guess that means Action Comics 5. <laughs> no, oh. Sandman's 5. What am I thinking? Okay. There we go. Uh, number 1 for me is City of Madness. Number 2 is Outsiders. Number 3 is Green Lantern. Number 4 is uh, Batman and Robin. And then number 5 is... I guess action comics just by default because <laughs> yep. they're definitely in Batman. Uh, so yeah, rough, rough week uh, for a few of the books I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will now tell you what's coming next week from DC comics. We have Batman 144. Hallelujah. It's the last Joker. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming it is anyway, because it's back to just monthly after that. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming uh, Joker year one wraps up with uh, the next issue, but uh, here's hoping anyway. Uh, we have Nightwing 111, we have Batman Superman World's Finest 24, we got Superman issue 11, we have Titans issue 8, Wonder Woman issue 6, Catwoman 62, Justice League vs. Godzilla vs. Kong issue 5, Justice, uh, sorry, Green Lantern War Journal issue 6, and John Constantine Hellblazer Dead in America issue 2. So a little bit busier, I've got a good 7 or 8 books there that mm-hmm. uh, I'll be looking at, I'm excited for most of them, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, so it should be a good week next week. Um, mm-hmm. I am consider me hate, but yes. that is the show, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us here on this episode 395 of Comics from the Multiverse. You can support the show and all of the content that's made at Mail Fuzz Movies and Mail Fuzz TV uh, over at patreon.com slash TV. 
uh, you get a little bit early access to the show uh, but that is uh, so thank you once again for watching and listening we always appreciate it keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force